Hey. Hey, what's up? Long time no here. Yeah, Ooh, hold on a second. Okay, back. <laughs> now, uh, it's always something in my life. Um, <laughs> Friday night, the missus was cooking something. I don't know. I come home from work and the whole place is full of smoke and cloudy. Yeah. I said, what the hell? I, I, she, when she gets on fucking Facebook, she doesn't look up. And I said, holy shit. Put the fan on. Yeah. All right. So, and lower the damn oven temperature. You know, she was making some fucking Philippine recipe, pork. She thought I would like it. I, I can't eat this stuff. Anyway. <laughs> uh... uh she lowered the temperature, but, you know, it's pork. It's got to cook longer. She tried to raise it, and the oven died. Ooh. So she ended up frying it. Fucking mess. So uh, I cleaned the oven really well yesterday morning. I said, well, maybe it's got grease, whatever, yada, yada. So I cleaned it with, you know, oven all easy off, shit like that, and then I cleaned it again. It's dead. The burners work. But the oven itself is dead. Yeah, like it usually goes beep, and then like you know raises the temperature till it gets your desired temperature. And I'm like, fuck, I got to deal with this landlord. And if you remember my history with this guy, <laughs> uh, with the heat, so I said, okay, the wife seems more proactive. So let me text her first. No response for hours. So uh, I texted him. He actually got back to me. Okay, remind me on Monday. I'm fucking telling you now. No. <laughs> Pardon me. Uh, and then a few minutes ago, I was going to take a shower just to get all fresh for the show. And then she calls me. I'm here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll let you in. So I said, hey, do you want to come upstairs and see that it doesn't work? And she goes, no, no, no. I'll get you a new one. I'm going to go to blah, 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 J.C. Penny or J.C. P.C. Rich, whatever the fuck. And I'm like, okay, who's going to install it? Because I'm not going to do it. I'm not lifting that shit. You know? <laughs> not only is it heavy, you got to know what you're doing. Oh, it's dangerous. They got the gas line coming in. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they usually do install uh, it for you, unless you're an idiot. You buy it without that. Well, she, she, she kind of said that. Places that used to, like Home Depot, don't anymore unless you throw them some money. Well, I'm not the one throwing the money, so they better throw them the money. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't even see taking out a rent. I just kind of low in cash right now, so yeah, you know, like, hey, thanks. Uh, take a DVD. <laughs> <laughs> Preferably one I have two of. You know. What's the awful Dr. Olaf? Oh, you'll like it, man. <laughs> <laughs> My life. Especially with the punchline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got anything with Latin babes? Yeah, because these guys use Spanish anyway, right? <laughs> and I'm not knocking it because without, I'm going to make my anti-Trump speech for the show. You're probably going to run this one. It's okay. Um, without Latin guys, women, because there's, there's a construction site I pass on the way to to my bus every morning. There's, there's girls working there, too, with the guys. Yeah. They're probably day laborers, but you know what? Without these people, nothing will get done. That's true. And, you know, it's it's more than true. 
You know, I mean, my wife always says it's like, oh, yeah, they're taking away jobs. Yeah, you want to be the janitor? You want to work the short order cook job? You want to be, you know, whatever the hell, picking shit out in the field for the farmer? I don't think so. And you know what? Uh, This is going to be a long show anyway, and I'm game. You know what? Something else. Why do day laborers, they're not taking away the guys who picked them up on the truck are usually white guys. And they got a little job. They got a handyman special. They got they got a house they bought. They got a construction job to do. And they they figure they're gonna pay these guys per day, you know. Yep. And these these guys got skills, you know. They had a lot of them have skills from you know where they came from. A lot of them learned skills on the job. And and it's no fault of anybody really. It's like nobody can afford to pay. This is why outsourcing exists. The enemy of everybody, because guys aren't going to pay you twenty five, thirty, forty dollars an hour, and you're worth it. When they could pay Harash Patel and and Juan Rodriguez ten dollars a day. Yep. You know. It's true. It's, and that's for IT jobs. <laughs> you know? uh-huh. So, how did I segue into that? Uh, oh yeah, delivery guys and setting up. Yeah, I don't know. I I. I don't want to hurt myself left in this fucking thing. Get no. me old one. You're not supposed to do that. I'm going to. As it is, I got to move shit in the kitchen. And they're going to have to clear to pull that shit out. I have no idea. Wow. But it's like, you better fix this. Otherwise, you're going to get the bill from the pizza restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> hey, every day, pizza. What are we having today? Takeout? <laughs> yeah, well. Inside the gold mine, you're back to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Tonight, we're talking the superhero cinema from the 90s to today. How much will we get to in this show on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio? Good evening and welcome to uh, getting near the end of the sixth season of Weird Seasons at the Goldmine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Mr. Lewis Paul, I should say long-suffering co-host, considering all the things that are happening lately, uh, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. Tune in, turn on, take a step outside the mainstream, as we dig deep into the rich vein of cult cinema, music, and television right here on Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine. So tonight we are talking superhero cinema, and yes, I'm going to make a quick nod to the earliest days back in the 40s in the serials, but basically this all kicked off in the 90s. We did have the Batman movie uh, in the very late 80s, before that we had the Superman movies in the very late 70s to the mid 80s, but there really wasn't that much going on. A lot of it was on television. And we had discussed that. We had discussed superhero television all the way up through what was then pretty recent, you know, Legends of Tomorrow and Arrow and whatever the hell else, Luke right. Cage, on an earlier show. But this time around, we're digging into the movies. And really, the what people think of nowadays as the superhero movie craze really kind of kicked off in the 90s. So we're going to uh, try to focus on that area and, you know, get as far as we can get for today that's considering how many of these damn things there are. Even if we go really quick, there'll probably be a second show on this. So let's just kick off. Is there anything you want to say before we get started? 
Oh my God! Thanks for reminding me. We actually covered the TV stuff. <laughs> we we have so many shows in the can already. Available oh, yeah. for streaming, by the way. So yeah, I damn, I forgot. We're pushing in week sixty here, so uh, you know we're pretty far um, into the the long, long run of where it's inside the gold mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. That's cool. No, great. Yeah, we should just uh, do what we do best. <laughs> So, <laughs> drinking and <laughs> screwing in. <laughs> this is going to be a fun show. Playing guitar. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. All right. So, you want to start with what film? Basically, just so people know, uh, this is going to be one of those informal shows like last week when we did Mission Impossible and, and so forth. Which I love. I loved that show. That was a great show. Yeah, it was a fun one. It, it actually, I wasn't sure how it was going to turn out because we hadn't done too many where, you know, I wasn't sitting there and taking notes on movies and stuff for, geez, for a while now. I think since before the hiatus. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we did that one. I was like, okay, let's see how this turns out. And, yeah, I guess you know, once you get your sea legs, you never really lose them, as they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is going to be another one of those, <laughs> in case you're wondering. Yeah. So great, strap great. in, and here we go. Back in the 40s, there was a thing called serials. I'm sure we had discussed it previously when we talked about the superhero television shows, I know. The idea was just to basically get asses in the seats at theaters. So what they would do is, people who watch old movies, I find that they can really do the same job that modern movies do and better inside of an hour slot. And I was like, how the hell did they do that? Well, first off, they're concise. They have a fucking editor, and they have a, they know where they're going to go with the story. Uh, and they act, and they people used to talk more, more like Howard Hawks kind of a thing, you know, where you could really get, fit a oh, lot yeah. of dialogue in there, a lot of emotion, a lot of whatever, into a concise format. You don't need to be Peter Jackson and run one fucking story for seven films. And one of the reasons for this was because most people went to see a double feature or sometimes even a triple feature in a theater. And in between, they would also show little shorts, you know, whether it's a Popeye cartoon or a Three Stooges short or, you know, Laurel Hardy, whatever the hell. And one of the things that you used to get the kids in was they would have at least one, maybe a couple, of serials. One of the things, the reason we're bringing up today is these things were chapter plays, and they would have one chapter every week, you know, every Saturday or whatever. My father used to go see these things back when he was a little toddler. Uh, <laughs> every week you would see another chapter of it if you could go every week. And so most people couldn't, obviously. So, you know, maybe you missed four chapters of whatever, The Shadow, and then caught up, oh, what happened now? They were crazy. If you listen to a lot of old-time radio or if you watch something like Dark Shadows, you know, the ongoing uh, supernatural soap opera, it gets passed from writer to writer. It's like, okay, where do we leave off? And a lot of times they really don't give a shit. Like, ah, just quick throw it out the window, explain it away, ignore it, and let's move on to something else. So the ball does get dropped sometimes. But as a rule, they kind of do a decent job of telling a story in, I guess, kind of like a contemporary movie because they run about two and a half to three hours when you watch the whole serial. Oh, yeah. If I could jump in here. A number of the actors that I interviewed over the years, and God, I've been doing that for a long time, actually name check serials as like one of the things that got them interested in wanting to be an actor i remember david carradine for one really loved serials when he was a kid his dad was already an actor god we know that john carradine but david used to go to the movies and you know he's one of the people don stroud was another one so people we recognize the faces character actors leading actors uh some people they went to serials, and you know they went to these shows, and serials were part of the entertainment. Fifty, seventy-five cents. Mm-hmm. You know, 
I guess for people who maybe there was some money in the family so they could afford to go every week and keep account of what was going on. Because <laughs> you mentioned, like, if you couldn't, you know, some people were not, you know, some people were poor. They couldn't go yeah. every week. So, uh, you know, you try to catch up. But, yeah, a lot of people did. And a lot of people who we know from television, especially in the 60s, 70s, 80s, they, when they were kids, they went to see these things. Yeah, and actually the contemporary geek culture, if you will, would identify right away with two directors that I never really had truck with and still don't, but kind of set the whole damn thing up for you guys, which is Spielberg in particular and George Lucas. They directly mentioned many, many times in interviews, especially in the early days, that Star Wars and Indiana Jones and all these things were direct attempts to go back to the serials. Because they're like, in the 70s, movies were very artsy. We had a lot of art house stuff coming in from the 60s. Uh, We were really looking to foreign shores. We were really looking to Italy. We were really looking to the French directors, the whole Nouvelle Vague thing, New Wave. Well, these movies are getting too heavy-handed and too pretentious. Let's make them more fun for whatever the hell and dumb it down a little bit. And unfortunately, they dumbed it down a hell of a lot for the entire culture. But, well, I, I know you have issues with Spielberg, but I, I still have to say, he's got a, a quite a few pictures that are really good. Jaws was I really mean, good. I went back to it, and I'm like, you know what? It, it actually does work. I can see why people love it so much. But, and, yeah. and the, Indiana Jones, I love the hell out of that. I still do, because it's it's one of these things we're talking about, in a way. It's a complete throwback to the serial. And the first yeah. one is just, you know, that's a shit. You know, <laughs> it's like, if you go watch a picture over and over and still have fun with it. Yeah. I saw the first two in the theaters, and, you know, in the same way that the first two Star Wars, although I thought the first two Star Wars were a lot better, you know, it it does work for that sort of thing. It's just, you know, given what's happened afterwards and the way culture went, I was like, oh, come on. And it all comes kind of right back down to those two guys. I wish they hadn't done this in a way. But on the other hand, you know, some good things came of it as well. Right, exactly, exactly. And and, and we cannot forget... (laughs) The, because of Raiders of the Lost Ark, which was influenced by him going to see serials or whatever, blah, 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 there was suddenly a resurgence in the 80s that lasted for a while of low budgets. <laughs> like Albert Bay, uh, yeah. Oh, yes, that's true. All the full yeah. movies that we covered that one show. Yes. Yeah. There are all these, like, damn, cheesy Matt Crawford, whatever the fuck happened to him? Oh, actually, no, it's... Albert Pyun films. <laughs> yeah, I think Matt Crawford passed away. Sorry about that, Matt. Uh, but, yeah, there are a lot of these things. They're really low budget. They would, they would actually send the actors to South America. Mm-hmm. Philippines, trudging through the jungle, you know? It was before the post-platoon, post-apocalypse now craze, which, another thing. Yeah. But, yeah, they were, they, for a while, they were like, oh, Antonio Margariti. And poor David Warbeck, Hunters of the Golden Cobra. Remember that? Oh, God. The, the Margariti films with Warbeck were great. Yeah, he did a couple of them, actually. There was, like, something, Ark of the Sun God. and That's yeah. pretty bad, though, I have to say. Only because, and usually those guys do magic. Mm-hmm. Cheesy magic. But yeah. they do magic. Because that one was shot in Turkey, you could see it. It was like, <laughs> Warbeck is like, it's funny. There's a Jim Bean product placement every five minutes. <laughs> Like, he shows up with this gorgeous girl who's, like, 20 years old. He's already looking like 50 in 1979. And, well, I mean, maybe he was. And so, you know, like, they, they, he's poor shot, you know, when John Steiner hires him. He goes, like, no, I want gin and milk. Gin and milk? 
<laughs> wow, that's oh. like a recipe for vomit. Oh my god. <laughs> He's like, that's my drink. And then the butler to John Steiner is like, I'm not quite sure how to make that, sir. Nah, it's okay. I'll make it. You see him pouring it out and drinking. I'm like, holy shit. Was that a bourbon what? Alexander? Holy shit. Rock good Alexander. I don't know. <laughs> he died of cancer. Maybe it's stomach cancer. Yeah. Shit like that. I don't know. I used but, to be a Jim Beam man. I wouldn't put that with fucking milk. You'd be crazy. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Wow. Anyway. Uh, so. So the bottom line Dialing is, it back, yes. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of these things out there, and obviously only a portion of them were kind of superhero-ish related. But the ones that were, they pulled from the comic books directly. Now, a lot of them tend to be what you think of today as DC, which may have back then been things like Fawcett or National or you know any of the other companies that they absorbed over the years. But just to name-check a couple of them without getting into them too much, Adventures of Captain Marvel, a great one. It was actually one of the first. A Spy Smasher. And Batman, of course. And also Batman and Robin later, which is really cheesy. The Vigilante, Superman, Adaman vs. Superman as well, and Blackhawk. So all of those... Oh, that was a quality one, actually. All of those have later become associated with DC. So in a way, retroactively, DC's got their hand in almost all of the superhero serials that existed, except for Captain America, which at the time wasn't Marvel either. It was timely. That's basically it. They're chapter plays. They got you in week after week with cliffhanger endings. There was actually a cheesy show back in 79 I used to watch when I was a kid called Cliffhanger. And they had yeah, various things. Uh, they would chop it up. One of them, I remember, was a really bad one with Michael Norrie, and he was a vampire. <laughs> Dracula. He was Dracula. Yes. And they would have different ones. Like, one was more like an Indiana Jones thing before that came out. One was that. Maybe it was even like Romancing the Stones. Same idea. And I forget. There was three or four episodic serials they would run concurrently. And then, you know, maybe if you were lucky, the next week you'd see the next chapter, maybe they would skip and rotate with another group. It was strange. It didn't last. But it was a nice idea. It was kind of a proto, again, throwback to these things. I guess, in a way, it also paved the way to, first off, The Adventures of Superman, the TV show in the 50s. And much later, all the superhero shows that we talked about going from the mid-70s, you know, with the original Wonder Woman pilot with Kathleen Crosby. And in a way, you could almost consider that one of these, but it's not. It's not a movie. It's actually a TV pilot. The Wonder Woman show, which came from it later with Linda Carter, and obviously all the Marvel shows. Also, in terms of TV movies, one that I'm sure wouldn't get mentioned otherwise, Justice League of America. It was kind of put out there and forgotten like when we talked about Generation X or the Nick Fury movie or whatever else it did appear on TV in the mid 90s I don't know that or maybe it actually did maybe it was just like a bootleg gray market thing circulating but they didn't make it for TV and it had strange people in it like David Ogden Steers was in it from MASH he was like a Frasier character on MASH and he was the Martian Manhunter of all people oh and then of course the Return to the Batcave if you want to call that one uh, that horrible one where they got Burt Ward and Adam West and a couple other surviving stars of the old Batman stars oh, together. Yeah. That was kind of it for TV, yeah. where yeah. things really started with movies. And we had mentioned these during the superhero show, Superman movies, but we had Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder and Gene Hack and God help you, Richard Pryor. <laughs> so we, we didn't cover those over there. We did. Well, we did. Probably we should just brief, if we, even though we did it already, we should mention that Ilya Salkine and uh, the big French producers got, got up with Warner Brothers and all of a sudden this dormant property had a lot of money pumped into it. And then suddenly yes. we had you know Christopher Reeve, primarily a stage actor, doing pumping up like people are doing nowadays for, for movies. And he's pumping up a personal trainer. And damn, you know, that first Superman is 
Good. It's got problems. All of them do. For me, because I like darker things, I really yeah. like the second one. The second one's much better, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. I, apparently, Richard Donner had finished the whole second picture, mm-hmm. and for something happened with Warner Brothers. You know, Richard Donner is, is uh, he's done a lot of good work, and they brought in Richard Lester. To Which re- was a strange choice. Choice, yeah. yeah. I mean, my this God. This is the guy that did a hard day's night, people. <laughs> and help, right? And yep. Things maybe like the knack and how to get it, really oddball British, very British-centric things. This is what Richard Lester is known for. And all of a sudden, he's doing fucking Superman. Okay. Man, I don't know what he did, but retooling that, how much he shot is debatable. I've seen, you know, because by now we've all seen the original Donner cut, and now we've seen the Richard Lester cut. And, you know, it's like, ah, ah, ah. Yeah, I hate when they do that. You know, uh, it's uh, we're gonna have to deal with that with the, when the Queen movie comes out because that's a killer trailer. All those trailers are killer. Do you know the movie about Freddie Mercury and Queen? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I didn't know there was a problem with it. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, the guy who did the X Men. What the hell was his name? Brian Singer was fired. Oh, like, I didn't know that. Three and a half weeks into production for certain things, we still don't know <laughs> what that is. He said his father was ill. They're still saying certain things. So they had the DP take over, and then they brought in some Brit Brit director who had done something that was okay. I don't know. The trailer looks great. But they actually were in litigation with the DGA because Brian Singh actually directed very little of the film, but they couldn't Mm -hmm. take his name off of it. So now it's probably going to be credit to two people. So that's kind of interesting. It's still going on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so, I know, I'm sorry, folks, but, yeah, actually, yeah, it, it's, it applies here. But Superman 2 is great. Superman 3, we have problems. Oh, yeah, that's where it really got failed, Richard Pryor. Oh. Richard, well, you know, Richard Pryor was huge at the time. Oh, he was. He was huge. I'm not even going to fault his performance. It's just the fact that he was in this fucking movie, mm. and they try to make it into a comedy, and it's just like, what the hell? Well, the problem with this picture was... We have Robert Vaughn was the villain, and not nothing, not to take any, anything away from Robert Vaughn, because you know past shows about many other things. We actually spoke well of him. Protectors, yes, and Man from Uncle, you know, first first two seasons, season and a half. So you know, we're not taking anything away from Robert Vaughn, but here this was wrong. Yep. You need someone actually with gravitas. You know, yeah, Gene Hackman was great. I mentioned uh, we had problems with the for even the first two pictures, because Ned Beatty's performance and it's as directed i'm yes. sure ned would not play it that way unless he was directed to play it that way oh he could do serious like he didn't even deliver of course you know you don't, you don't have to have him yelling about miss tessbacher or whatever the hell else and it's, you know. right 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 again i yeah. think that was the richard lester part like, mm. well no it's still in the first superman a little bit too yeah, yeah he's he's directed to play it that way so of course you know, you're working on a 150 million dollar movie which is a lot of money in 1977 Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're gonna do whatever they say, you know, because like, okay. Well, that was the good thing too about these all these productions that were going on in the '70s mm. that were all more or tourist and whatever. Is they were small scale and small budget, mm. so you could get a lot more stuff done 
for, you know, without the studio really looking over your shoulder too much, which went way away once the independents went away and the major studios took over all the theater chains. And the whole thing got kind of, the, the works got totally fucked come the early 80s. And that's why we never really had a vibrant cult cinema since then. It kind of got pushed out more towards video with the slashers right. and things like right. that before it totally disappeared. It went to this cable in the early 90s and then gone. There's no such thing as cult cinema now. Yeah, I just want to uh, briefly name check. For some reason, Canon got involved because I don't know, whatever. It's a long story. We don't we don't want to talk about that now. But super, the fourth one was Superman: The Quest for that's Peace. That's the one I was talking about. That was horrible. Oh. Which was close to Christopher Reeves' heart because he worked on the script for a long time and he wanted to see that movie being made. He wanted well, to make know, a once, statement about world peace and nuclear power, which yes. is fine. But what a piece of shit. Well, and Canon no money, doesn't too. have any money. Yeah, they can't even buy you lunch. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, um, I forgot who it was. Paul Talbot. He wrote, he had written two books, uh, which I read the Kindle versions of uh, about Charles Bronson. He covers a lot Bronson and the Canon years. And this guy did his research pretty well. You learn a lot about Canon by reading his books because, like, you know, Bronson's trying to make a contract, and Canon's like. Oh, we have, like, Igor Stravinsky is directing your movie, and Bronson's impressed. And then it's like, <laughs> it's Toby Smith. Ooh. You know. <laughs> he, he was a gopher on the last set. Yeah, he's going to direct the picture. You know, it's like, oh, wow. So I'd like that to see Igor Stravinsky direct a cannon film Charles Bronson. <laughs> well, hey, you know what? But that's the kind of thing they were known for. And I don't remember who directed Quest for a Piece at this point, but... No, uh, I don't remember. It was bad. You had Sunman? No, Nuclear Man. Didn't uh, Reeves direct it himself? I know he was very invested in that project. He should have did it. Yeah, yeah. actually. Probably it would have been a better picture. I think he yeah. wanted to. He may have done some of it. And then the fifth one it was even worse. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not really a fifth. It was a reboot that didn't go anywhere, which I kind of like, but everybody in the world hates, which is the Brian Singer one. That's the yeah. one, right? Anyway, so there was our little background about feature film superhero movies, because now we're going to jump to... Well, actually, there was one more, The Supergirl. Remember, they had that weird offshoot in 84, where Jano Swark, who did a couple of the Jaws sequels, (laughs) which should already tell you something, and they pulled Helen Slater out of Australia, and okay, you know, she's fine for what she is, kind of a new actor at the time. Faye Dunaway, Dunaway, Peter O'Toole, slumming and drunk, Mia Farrow being her own obnoxious self, <laughs> Brenda Vaccaro, kind of on par with her TV work, uh, <laughs> Peter Cook. Was Chris in that? Uh, I don't remember. No, he was not. Peter Cook, slumming. And Matt Frewer, before he did the head, Max Headroom. Oh, yeah. It was, you know, I got to say this about this one. <laughs> it's funny as hell. If you want to see, like, an actual, okay, here's a cult superhero movie, this is the one. I mean, it is so bad and so unutterably gay. I mean, in the terms of, like, you know, you watch a film like Can't Stop the Music or Spice World, and you're like, oh, my God, this thing has rainbows coming out of it. It's that gay. This is how this film is. Supergirl is freaking awesome in that respect. Well, you know what? In in hindsight, they thought it was going to be big, tremendous. They thought it was going to be huge. This is, in actuality, and we're not making this shit up, one of the huge box office bombs because they yes. spent a lot on it and they thought it was going to be as big as Superman and it wasn't. No, it was really, really... It, it, people hated it from the get-go. I mean, I'm not just talking about critics. I'm talking about audiences. audiences and yeah. 
you know, if you see it now on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever, mm. they give you the extended cut, which is okay. It's even more, I don't want to really say watchable or acceptable, but it makes more sense than the cut that we got back then, which was chopped down to, I don't know what it was, like 87 minutes or less. It was a very short cut comparatively, and what a what a freaking mess. Well, you know, you know what, <laughs> Again, with the Superman and this, and probably a couple of the pictures we're going to talk about, these are still the days. There was this great book, Julia Phillips. That was her name. She was one of the producers on Close Encounters. She worked with Big Hollywood as an agent and then as a producer. These are cocaine-filled boardrooms oh, yeah. back in these days. Oh, yeah. And, guys, you know I like to party occasionally. I'm getting older now. <laughs> but we all had our past days. But it's nothing, it's nothing compared to this Hollywood shit. Oh, no. And, you know, you read about Remember Al Pacino with Scarface with the mounds of coke and him just going, yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, it was like that. That's where they, Brian, Brian De Palma got the idea. He said, I want to remake Scarface. Okay, put your head on the table. Okay. So, um, really, the, the, so why, why is Lewis even saying this? Look at the casting for this fucking Supergirl. Oh, yeah. It would be in a good writer's hands and a good director's hands or a service, even a serviceable director's hands. <laughs> you could do something with that. Why do yeah. you think somebody takes a comedian who's a little quirky like Simon Pegg and puts him in a major five zillion dollar action movie as like a third build action hero? Because they know that the, the guy's good and they could do things with his quirkiness. Yep. I, all right, I went aside with that. I'm talking about Mission Impossible 654 or whatever. But they could have did that with this kind of weird cast. And oh, they yeah. didn't know what to do. Okay, Peter Cook. Dudley Moore is on a roll. Peter Cook used to work with him. Let's show him on this. Peter O'Toole is aging, but he did brilliant turn in my favorite year, which is around this time period. So we'll put him in this, but he don't give a shit by this time because he's drinking like a bastard. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, really, that's what's going on. You know, Faith Dunaway, she's like, is she awake? I don't know. Give her another drink. <laughs> Mia Farrow, oh, we don't know. We don't even want to say. There's, yeah. there's a lot of weird stuff there. Let's not go there. <laughs> Frank is not the son. Is not the father of my son who looks more like Frank Sinatra than Frank Sinatra does. But <laughs> we're not going to say that. Go ahead. Sue me, Rowan. <laughs> I want to go on CNN and talk to Roland Farrow and say, who's your daddy? So, anyway. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Farrow is, well, yeah. Great show. Right? Already, we didn't even get going. So. <laughs> anyway, um, let's get anything more to say about Supergirl, what a disaster it was, considering the cast especially. But it's a fun disaster. It's a very, very gay-friendly uh, camp, you know, yeah, party night kind of film. Yeah, gay-friendly. I don't like it. I never did. I hate it. Oh, it's hilarious! I love the damn thing. Uh, but but then again, I love Spice World and uh, can't stop the music. And uh, I don't like anyway, no, oh, no, nah, nah, you, you, you haven't done it with the right people. It's just too funny. Uh, so which we are leading up to with this stuff, which is kind of like you know the ancient days leading up to what? How did this genre become about? Oh well, if you go back to the earliest days of Black Sabbath and Deep Purple, you find the roots of heavy metal. Uh, anyway, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. So now where things really start to happen, and again, it's very skimpy in the beginning, where it's only one series, is the Batman series. 
Tim Burton, who was this quirky up-and-coming guy. I think at the time he'd only done... What did he do, Heathers or something at that oh, point? He was, he'd done like one or two odd that. movies before Batman. It wasn't Nightmare Before Christmas or anything like that, yet he was not famous. He was just a strange guy that did like an outsider picture or two. And they brought him in to do this thing. And again, strange casting. Michael Keaton, Mr. Mom. What the fuck? And then they get Kim Basinger, who hadn't yet done Wayne's World, but, you know, she was kind of... I don't know, people found her hot for some reason. I don't understand why. Billy T. Williams, who really hadn't done anything outside of Star Wars, but, you know, they, he was loved in his community. All the women were like, ooh, he looks like Billy D. And they go hot. Michael Gow from the Hammer films shows up in this thing. Yeah, what? It was a good choice, though. Jack Palance? Jack Palance is in the damn thing. Of all people, Mick Jagger's then-wife, girlfriend, whatever the hell she was, Jerry Hall, the one who, like, didn't shave and stunk from everything we heard about her. <laughs> and... <laughs> And Jack Nicholson. I'm like, what? Jack Nicholson? Five Easy Pieces? Easy Rider? What the fuck? And yet, okay, when it came out, I had some friends that were really excited about saying, oh, you got to see this, you'll love it. Because they knew I had a past, even though I wasn't at that time. When I was younger, that I was in the comics. Okay, fine. I saw them, I was like, I was kind of nonplussed by it. I'm like, no, it's not that good. It's very oddball. It's super camped up. It's got a lot of weird comedy in it. And it's very artificial in a lot of ways. It doesn't feel like a comic book. It feels like, I don't know what, like a Tim Burton movie. But it does work, particularly given the strange casting. Michael Keaton actually turned out to be a fairly inspired choice yes. because he looks crazy. He looks like the guy that would have two friggin' split personalities, if I agree. you will. You know, living as a you know a billionaire investor by daytime, and then this lunatic you know vigilante by night. Uh, you know, with goofy smiles on his face, and then going around and murdering people. You know, having trouble with women. Like, well, okay, he doesn't seem gay at all, but then he's just there's something yeah, off yeah. about him, and I can see that, why that would. And that's you know, something that wasn't recaptured until Christian Bale no. took over, in my opinion. But we'll get to that. Yeah, I agree totally huh. with you. Michael Keaton was an odd choice, and then he worked because he looked like something was off when he was Bruce, and he looked like something was off when he was Batman. As for Jack Nicholson, I've seen a lot of mannered roles. Let's face it, Jack Nicholson. He always he's guilty, guilty as charged because Jack plays Jack a lot. The Departed. Scorsese, actually. It's a remake of uh, Chinese Infernal Affairs. Jack was brilliant in that. He didn't play Jack. And Jack did not play Jack as a Joker. So I actually liked him in this, uh, as a Joker. Alfred Go, I actually missed him when he wasn't Alfred anymore. Because, you know, you know, we grew up with this guy, Hammer's Dracula. The first one, 58. You know, he was yep. author. And he was... Uh, you know, helping out Cushing's uh, Van Helsing, and it was like, wow, then all the TV roles and all the movie roles. I was like, wow, they gave this old British actor? Uh, that's nice. It's a weird movie. There's a lot of quirky shit going on in here, that's for sure. Not limited to the Prince soundtrack. What the fuck was yeah, that all about? right. <laughs> I mean, you know, and I used to love Prince. I mean, I still love his old funk yeah. stuff. But this was when he started getting a little weird. This was around the time of the Black Album and Love Sex and all that stuff. There's weird stuff going on in this whole movie. It's weird. Yeah. And it was huge. Everything about this Buster, though. It was, it was huge. Huge. It opened the floodgates. <laughs> So, first off, there's really nothing else but Batman movies coming out of that. Right. Three years later, Burton's back with Batman Returns. Keaton's still there. It's his last time. It's, I don't know. Some people love it. I found it 
even from the first one, even though I was like not totally whatever about the first one, it still works in its own weird way. But their sequel was just like, well, I guess I sort of like seeing Michelle Pfeiffer run around in a cat suit. <laughs> That's about it. That's all I can say for it. Danny DeVito comes back as the Penguin, and instead of being this comical, you know, goofy ass character that uh-huh. he was, not only in the uh-huh. comic books, but as you know, everybody starts to these birds just murdering, running for mayor or whatever the hell. Here he's like a monster, living out of the sewers and stuff. He's twisted. Yeah. He's weird freak. He's a freak. What the hell is that one all about? Apparently, he was also Jack Nicholson. Says, hey, you know, he was friends with him. Why don't you put him up for the role? You know, he could do something in your next movie. So okay, I guess it was kind of a hand-me-down, but strange, strange choice. You know, Pfeiffer is Pfeiffer. She's always kind of wooden, but she looked good at the time. <laughs> so she running around in leather. Christopher Walken's in this one. <laughs> Walken. Of course, he's a sleazy businessman. What else? Michael Gow's still in this. Christopher Walken? Yep. Yeah. Walken. <laughs> what? And Vincent Chiavelli, once again, is kind of not the same thing as we saw him in the Bond film or the other things we praised him for, his uh, creepy serial killer type. But, you know. Although he was great in that Bond film. I watched it last night. Yep. And he's still a ways from, uh, what the hell was that, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. You know, here he yeah. is trying to do the creepy thing. I guess that's where it started. And of all people, Pee Wee Herman, before he got caught jerking off in the porno theater, is <laughs> in this <laughs> one as well. Bastard, you're so evil. <laughs> no, <go ahead. laughs> But it, to this day, that's all I can think of with him and George Michael, who's you know now departed. I always think of him going to pick up guys cruising in the John. I can't think of him any other way. In a park, and that that John, right? George Michael, how to bring that up? Right? That was a CD. That's like one of those things when you're with your wife or girlfriend, you're in a park, and you say, "Shit, I gotta really take a leak." Oh, there's a restroom. Let me go. And it smells and it's funky, and it's like guys standing there looking in the mirror. And they, they look like, I want to suck your dick. And you're like, no, no, no. And you just want to take a leak and leave there right away because your wife or girlfriend's waiting outside. But, yo, George Michael, you know, he wanted to suck some guy's dick. He was a cop. So, yo, there was, did I say that? Yeah, I did. But anyway. There was uh, one scummy bathroom in the local mall by us down in the basement. It actually was in the basement. And it was weird. Even as a kid, I'm like, something's wrong here. Because you'd always see guys kind of standing around leering. And yeah. they actually had somebody pop the glory hole in between the stalls, and it said like this way to paradise. <laughs> you know when I saw that for the first time in my life, when I used to go to the Chinese movie theaters down by Canal Street, there were three: the Sun Sing, the Magic Palace, uh, another one I've now forgotten, uh-huh. and they were very cold. They didn't heat those things; they were just like slabs of concrete, and you know, double bills, trailers was great. I saw the best stuff there. And you sit there, and you know you got to go to the bathroom. You go, oh, shit. <laughs> so I would go, and the, the bathrooms, were they were accessible behind the screens. There was a door. Yeah. So I remember, yeah, I'm eating, like, fucking soy milk and prawn chips. It's all they sold in the fucking thing. Yeah. I kid you not, until I got smart and bought beer and post-roast pork buns on the way there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I go behind there, behind the screen on the right and left side, there was a door. And I go and take a leak, and there's all these guys standing around. <laughs> I mean, it's weird. Like in some kind of, what was that, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness? Yeah. Remember those people just kind of standing? And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
was like, I was, I was laughing with my wife last night. I was like, oh, I wonder, first off, when they named the meatpacking district, were they thinking what was going to happen there? And secondly, those guys that parked those fucking trucks there, what happens? Do they actually have to use those trucks afterwards? <laughs> they have to climb in those things and, like, you know, fill them up with goods and truck, truck around somewhere? Like, ugh. <laughs> I would tell you off air. But... <laughs> Uh, anyway, you're, uh, you're too young for these stories, my friend. <laughs> there was some thing I was watching. It was a documentary on one of these DVDs. I don't know which one. And the guy came on and he was talking about the old days in like gay culture and in New York. Hey. And one of the things he went to was, and they actually showed him walking around in one. I don't know if it's like an archival footage or what. And it was these places that were like the South Bronx. Like if you ever saw Wolfen. You know, these de- destroyed friggin' buildings. And these guys would go in there, no fear, like, whatever. Like, really? I mean, it's like, you figure nowadays, crack house, punk rock squatters, I mean, drug addicts. Hey, it's not just gay culture. It's not just gay culture, because one day I'm sitting, and I remember something, an ex, mm-hmm. uh, who was a high priestess, uh, you know, that's why she's an ex, uh, who was a high priestess in Wiccan culture, and she told me she used to go to this spot. And it just uh, suddenly the name entered into my brain, right? Is it with me? So I Googled it. The only reference I could find was video on Vimeo. I'm like, wow, <laughs> I remember that. So I go to Vimeo. It was a self-shot, 35-minute, you don't want to ever see this again, <laughs> thing at this place. It was sort of like the Hellfire Club, something like that. Okay. And it was like, oh, <laughs> and it was like yo know, it's not gay culture it was like extreme fetish culture that was going on at the time chill you know and, and there's a lot of stuff going on that meat plank you know what do we got down there now the Highline and the Highline Ballroom which is a good place to see bands and uh, a lot of massage parlors because I was down there recently to see a band I was like wow look at this cheap <laughs> the Highline, yeah, I saw Epica there with uh, Visions of Atlantis. Wow, that was a really strange show because almost nobody showed up to the damn thing. Oh, you know what? <laughs> I saw an Italian prog band there a couple of months ago. These guys are fucking huge in Europe. The first floor was okay. The second floor was dead. And it took forever to get a drink because it was like the bar was closed up here. So how can I? Do I have to go downstairs? That's fine. No, the waitress to come upstairs. It took like 20 minutes. By that time, I only had three drinks all night. I fuck you. So, <laughs> anyway, back anyway. To Batman 3. Yeah, Batman Forever, which now, the series, no matter what you thought of the first two, it takes a definite nosedive because oh. Joel Schumacher takes over. Now, Joel Schumacher is a character. Uh, talking about gay culture. Wow. So he casts, of all people, Val Kilmer, who was at the Ooh. time just coming off of The Doors, I think. Well, I thought Val was good in this. I and Willow. Was... You thought he was good in this? Oh, boy. He was better than some people that came afterwards. Let's put it that way. But it, he was really bad. Very wooden. And there were costumes now that, because of the director, said, you know, I think they should have nipples. So now <laughs> those stupid outfits that they had were the, it was like a cast form fake muscle kind of outfit they have. Oh, on. you don't like nipples? <laughs> oh. <laughs> All the men have hard, erect nipples on. I'm like, really? Uh, Tommy Lee Jones is in this, playing Two-Face. Okay. He's okay. Interesting He's okay. choice. All right. Jim Carrey's in it as the Riddler. No, I don't think so. Nicole Kidman is in this as sort of the love interest. Really? Nicole Kidman? Okay. <laughs> Chris O'Donnell shows up in the first of his roles as, you know, Batman's got to have a partner. Mm. <laughs> Here comes <Robin. laughs> 
Or you're going to <laughs> and, strange places. Okay. Yeah, the dynamic gets weird. It's kind of like it did on a TV show in the 60s, but Michael right. Gow's still there. Drew Barrymore shows up. What the fuck? Debbie Mazar. I mean, these strange people. Was she Poison Ivy? Drew? Uh, no. Uh, Poison Ivy was... Oh, oh next picture. Okay. Right, right. Uh, Renee right. Abergeois, who was like a TV comedian. I figured out the hell he was on like Night Court or some shit. Shows up in this thing as the, the guy who's running Arkham Asylum. Don the Dragon Wilson's in a bit part in this damn thing. What? Ed Bigley Jr. Friggin' Walking. long with Ed. Transylvania 65,000 <laughs> in this. What the hell were they thinking? Totally, if you want to talk about camp films that aren't fun, this is one of them. And continuing the decline and fall of the series, and pretty much to this day, everybody mocks these films. Schumacher comes back with Batman and Robin. Now you've got <laughs> the governator himself, Arnold Schwarzenegger, as Mr. Freeze. Okay, you know, Schwarzenegger, if you take the way he acted in a lot of his films at the time, all right, you know, it wasn't the world's worst performance. It was a little bit campy, but what do you expect for a guy running around in a, a frosty, freezy outfit that was formerly... Well, they did have George Sanders in it before he killed himself, but strange people. Otto Preminger. I'm like, really? Fucking Otto Preminger? So <laughs> in that role, like, well, all right, Schwarzenegger, I guess it yeah. sort of fits. Yeah. But still, an odd choice. George Clooney shows up as Batman. Oof, yeah, not one of his prime roles. Chris O'Donnell's still in this. Uma Thurman is one we were thinking of that was Poison Ivy. Really? Uma Thurman? I know she was kind of a big deal at the time, but yeah, okay. And Alicia Silverstone shows up as, as she's very kindly referred to to this day, Fat Girl. Because <laughs> she was really putting on the pounds at the time, and of course played Batgirl with her little nipple suit. Who else was in this damn thing? Vivica A. Fox. You know, remember these That's names? Like, who, who even cares about them? Elle McPherson, the half-assed supermodel. Oh. Jesse the Body Ventura, who was a later became a senator. He was in this damn thing. It's just, oh, Jay, wait a minute. Jesse was in Predator. You can't mess with that guy. Predator was great, but that, that's a different story. I forget for anybody that was in Predator, but just for that film. But yeah, I mean, this film was abysmal. Are you done? Let me know when you're I'm done. done. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a vivisection. Oh my god, <laughs> that poor animal. Uh, well, well, I'm gonna go back to Val. I thought Val was fine in Batman Forever. <laughs> he could have been worse. I actually, I think knowingly. What he was doing, and Val's the kind of guy who, before he went totally fucking nuts, was trying to, like, he was one of these guys who tried to inhabit his roles. I think Val did a fine job. He was surrounded by a weird movie. I don't think his performance was as bad as they say. Now, Joel Schumacher directed it, and it was like, why, why, why? Now, a lot of people do like a Schumacher-directed film. It's like, their Bible, you know which one this is, I speak of. Um, the Woman Keeper? Yes. Uh, I, I hate that fucking movie. I, I never liked it. <laughs> Lost Boys, folks. Uh, yep. Actually, I never... Joe Schumacher hasn't worked since. Uh, yeah. He is, well, that's why. <laughs> well, no, there's probably other things going on, too, we don't know about. But anyway... I think these films would be enough to sink a career. <laughs> yeah, well, they said, they said that they almost did. I, I again I, I, I don't dislike Val, you know, it was weird that two pictures in were changing actors, but this is par for the course for the for the whole genre. Then we had George Clooney, you just mentioned you know yeah, okay, the suits, everything else. <laughs> I thought George was fine, you know, George was I saw him in a really good movie called Three Kings by a guy who really got overrated. What the fuck was his name? David Russell, who, like, 
uh, two years ago was making movies about a woman who was selling products on TV or something. I don't know. With Jennifer Lawrence, it's like anything I make will be good. No, sorry, go away. So uh, he was really good in that. I really didn't watch much of beyond one or two episodes George's <laughs> show on television called whatever the fuck it was. So uh, look it up, folks. Whatever the fuck it was. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was ER maybe or something like that. It might have been. There was an Asian chick in the cast, so you could probably find it. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh. Uh, well. Uh, what was they saying? Oh yeah. So I thought he was fine as Batman. I, I, you know, but everybody else was a mess. You know, Arnold was at the top of his superstar status. So of course he would cast. Yeah, this is right before End of Days, or whatever that was. <laughs> Yes, yes, which I just discussed with uh, some friends uh, a week or two ago. We just got into this conversation. How did Arnold fall before he got into the political career? And I said, well, did you guys ever see Collateral? Did you ever see End of Days? Did you ever see Kindergarten Cop 1 and 2? Well, actually, no, 1. 1. And 1 wasn't so bad for him. But, yeah, End of Days, you don't take an action hero icon and fucking crucify him by Satan, which was Gabriel Byrne, I believe, <laughs> and end the picture. And then everybody walks out. What the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> um, we got to do an honor show one day. Oh, we haven't to. done an honor show. I'd love to. Okay. And I won't knock him because I like the guy. He's, he's one of our few sensible opinions in politics right now. <laughs> Isn't it weird? If you find the people, I'm like... Okay, I wouldn't expect that from you, but all right, I'm good with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm good with that. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger is one of the few sensible people in fucking politics right now. Think about that. Yeah, it's true. So one of the last things we start around this time with the Fox Marvels, but just to finish up with yes. DC, let's keep it on that tip for now because DC movies are abysmal. <laughs> this is where they really get bad. No, not all of them. Not all. Of them. Eh. All right. So Steel. Yeah. You remember the one that uh, Shaquille O'Neal did? It was practically. That's terrible. Yeah. Why'd you bring it up? <laughs> That's great. That's terrible. Why'd you bring it up? Well, Richard Roundtree's in it, man. Richard Roundtree. I don't care. It's terrible. <laughs> That was like a five-dollar budget with guy with guys who got. See now, here we go again. And Quincy got Jones got involved. This this movie, <laughs> right? This movie cost a lot of money. You had a major, uh, what was he? Basketball, basketball major yeah. basketball star. Okay, all right. I don't know the fuck this guy. I don't watch sports. All right, whatever. But I know the name, and and nobody went to see it. <laughs> nobody even watched it when it was on cable. It was like, what is this? Uh, but apparently it was based on something? What was it based on? It was a comic based book? on a comic book that was about a white guy, mind you, once again, one of these retroactive uh, switches they do, who was in the 40s, and I think he became like an amputee or something, and they made him into a proto-Robocop. This is years before Robocop. Sounds good. What's that? It's called Steel. <laughs> but, uh, it wasn't a great comic, but, you know, it was a DC job. And then wow, they should have later, Tom Cruise do that. <laughs> Uh, he would do a good job. Well, he already <laughs> did, uh, what was that, Born on the Fourth of July? Wasn't he in that one? <laughs> uh, he was really good at it. Yep. So, uh, anyway, yeah, Shaq was known for a lot of bad properties at the time. The guy's kind of an idiot, anyway. But Shaq <laughs> Boo, the game, Kazam, the movie, Steal, the movie. Oh, yeah. Anyway. 
So there's really nothing else from DC for several years now until 2004 when they put out probably the pinnacle of all DC movies. When I think DC movie, this is actually the one that comes to my mind first. Catwoman. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, before thou utterest the word, you thought Michelle Pfeiffer looked good in the cat suit? Why do you see Halle Berry in a cat suit? Mm, okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. <laughs> but, Thank you. <laughs> I'm not going to knock her uh, her physical attributes, but wow. And, and she's a real bitch, too, Halle Berry. Oh, my God. Anyway, but that's aside. But the, and the director was weird. The director was weird, well, too, was, right? Talk about weird it directors. was some guy that was a nobody. He actually goes by Pitoff. Who? <laughs> really? What, do you want, model? <laughs> Pitoff directed this movie, which was excellent. With Gerard Depardieu, really, and it, it's a noir, Holmesian. Was this the fat so, Gerard Depardieu that pisses in a cup on the plane? That guy, walking no, around no, like a no, beach no, whale no. on the Let's, beach. <laughs> yeah, same guy, but slightly be, be, before that part. No, it's a French movie. It's great. It's called uh, Vidal. The only movie I saw Gerard Depardieu in that I actually liked him at all was Maitres. The, uh, the you would, no, you one. would like this. You would like this. This is like. A mixture of Holmes and and Poe and and fucked up weird crazy shit and this guy made this movie. I'm like, what is this? This is brilliant. What's the name of this again? I Vidoc V I D O C Q. Okay. I I'm believe. Well, you can look for Vidoc. Yeah, yeah. I got I got the fucking French Blu-ray. I was so loved this movie. It's weird. It's twisted. And I was like, okay, he's doing Catwoman. I'm on board. <laughs> we saw Catwoman in the theater. I have told this story before, and maybe someday we could talk theaters. There was a what? grindhouse theater, believe it or not, in Jersey mm-hmm. City. And where? It used to be a Sony. Oh, I know where. It was a Sony multiplex, and it fell apart. It fell into the hands of people that were running it as a dollar theater, like second run. Oh, you know where this was? This was on the border to Union yes. City. I know where Yes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It used to be, first off, the carpeting that they have on the walls and all that was all falling off. They would routinely shut down random theaters inside the theater, like, you know, the multiplex. <laughs> uh, the escalators never worked. You had to kind of step up them, like, there were real stairs. Uh, they would sell dollar hot dogs. The movies themselves were a dollar. There was always, like, day laborers coming in there during their break just to cool off. And right. I know cursing, exactly where this was. Cursing at the theater, was, you know, the movies. And I was sorry they shut down shortly after I moved here. I said, oh, look, there's a theater there. And then I said, wait a minute, remember I don't think... There was rats go. running around the theater, <laughs> literally. Uh, people throwing up in the seats. It was awesome. If you wanted... You know, usually when people talk about grindhouse experiences, they're talking about the 70s, the 80s, you know. Once yeah. you get to maybe the Dinkins era, the 89 or so, that's where that stops. This is for the 2000s, Yes, man, right? it was the 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. And we went constantly. It was great. <laughs> so we would watch just any freaking movie that came out, no matter how shitty it was. If it was, you know, anything we were even vaguely... Like, eh, what the hell, let's go over there and watch a movie, get some hot dogs, and there you go, for cheap meal and whatever. What? And Catwoman was well, one. What? Why, why, why don't you not like this movie? Oh my god! <laughs> we went in and my mouth dropped. I'm like, holy shit! What were they thinking? She is somebody named Patience Phillips. God knows where got that name. And she's working for this uh, manufacturing firm that does cosmetological whatever the hell, run by Sharon Stone, who is really getting washed up and she'd already done Sliver and all that stuff. So basically they're making mascara and lipstick and whatever the hell else. Blush, rouge. 
And it's some kind of weird thing where she's discovered a way to make herself, you know, keep herself young forever, which is ridiculous if you look at Sharon Stone at that point. She was already visibly aging. And it turns out that there was it was basically toxic in a lot of ways. So they, she finds this out. She overhears it. They try to kill her. She winds up in the sewer. And mysteriously, she's brought back to life by Bast, the cat goddess from Egypt, who's decided she's going to be her avatar. And she comes back with mystical powers, which involve pretty much nothing. Uh, so she just runs around in a cat suit, uh, trying to take these people down. And, of course, Sharon Stone, being the head of this pharmaceutical lab, wherever the hell it is, has taken enough that she becomes invincible. So now she's like, you know, basically Emma Frost with her second mutation, you know, Diamond Heart or whatever. It is a piece of shit. It is so confused, so stupid, so poorly directed. I was, it, it was amazing. Even in the theater, we're like... What the fuck? Good thing this was a buck. <laughs> Unbelievable well, film. Well, I, 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 I think Callie Berry looks really good in that suit. So, <laughs> no, no, seriously, it's problematic. And yeah. Benjamin Bratt, right? Wow. Um, <laughs> I, I think this may be, you know, the same thing happened when was it Fox? hired the brilliant team of uh, Jean-Jacques for Alien 4, Resurrection. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the two guys who did City of Lost Children, I believe that was the film. And they did other films that we really liked. They were delivered a movie, and they didn't know what to do with it. And so we have yet Wait, to nuts? see... Yeah, we have yet to see um, what their original version was like and um, of Alien 4, Resurrection. Uh, which is supposed to have like lots of cool people. I I believe that probably the same thing happened with this movie, Catwoman. I think he probably delivered a picture that they said no 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 no. And I think they kind of retooled it, and they might have even gave it gave handed it over. See now everything's much more open and publicized. But thanks to the internet, I guess you could say, you know, when yeah. shit happens, like we know about it. You know, like somebody's fired, we called this guy in to do 14 weeks of his three-week shoot, you know? Oh, yeah, that was much more on the, on the QT. It was that. much more on the QT. And I think that's what happened with Catwoman. I think why, that's why Catwoman's a bit of a mess. It's, there's no auteurist view of that. There's And it has nothing to do with the character. Right, yeah, it's a completely different thing. And I think, I believe, they called somebody in to rescope, restructure this picture that they were delivered by this pretty decent French director who had an artistic way of doing something, and which is why they hired him. I think Vidoc was one of the pictures that they saw. It's like, holy shit, let's make this guy do this movie. He's artistic. And they said, no, you gave us an artistic superhero movie. We don't want that. And they probably brought everybody back for weeks of additional shooting, which is <laughs> par for the course nowadays, hey? Based on that, in my own personal belief, I won't condemn the film that much. I, I think there's something... <laughs> that someday we may see. Um, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. Lewis Paul has just defended Catwoman the movie. <laughs> Although, <laughs> it's based more on just on how Halle Berry looks in the cancer. I'll figure that. I'll figure that. <laughs> I don't even like next. the one, but I'll figure that. Hey. So, next up, <laughs> there comes a first film. This guy was actually a nobody director, a guy named Francis Lawrence. But it wasn't that bad. I mean, okay, yes, the television series blows it all to shit. But, but 
Constantine was actually a decent movie. Yes. I actually, I will, I'll say that to this day. I did enjoy the hell out of it, and I do have it on DVD, and I've watched it several times over the years. Yeah. Well, again, another one we saw in the theater, and I was pleasantly surprised by it for the most part, was Keanu Reeves coming off of his uh, speed resurgence, where it's like, how the hell is you know Ted Espresson Esquire all of a sudden to becoming some kind of a half-assed actor? It wasn't great, but okay. It doesn't remind you that much of you know Hellblazer, John Constantine from the comics, from Swamp Thing and all that. But nonetheless, same sort of idea. He's still supposedly a chaos magician. He's still some sort of a detective. He's still got the whole thing with you know coughing himself to death and whatever else. He's still fighting Satan. You got of all people again. The guy from Bush, you know, the Nirvana knockoffs. I actually kind of like them better than Nirvana. A little bit of heresy there. Bush, who was also involved with... Who the hell was he involved with? Was that uh, from No Doubt? I know he's involved with somebody high profile. It wasn't Patsy Kansas. That was the guy from Oasis. But yeah. anyway, Gavin Rossdale's in it. He doesn't do too bad. He's a little bit wooden, but not as bad as you would expect from, a, I guess, a first-time acting role. <laughs> Your pal, Tilda Swinton's in this one. Who would later become the Ancient One. And she is, uh, once again, a androgynous angel. There was Casher's androgynous. I wonder why. Shia LaBeouf! The uh, clownish star of those horrible Michael Bay Transformer films is in this. He's kind of his sidekick, if you will. I think he ran a place over a bowling alley, as I recall. He was like, I don't know if it was behind the pins or whatever the hell. He does the, the tech work there. In the back, he's got his little lab. And he builds all this, you know, whatever, silver bullet crossbow guns or for whatever the hell for Constantine to use against all the, the evil baddies from hell, literally. <laughs> it's not bad. And I've heard his name bandied about a lot since. So Digimon Hanzo is also in this one, too, as uh, Papa Midnight, who's kind of his rival, uh, witch doctor guy. Uh, does a lot of voodoo shit, and yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, it's it's really if you don't go in expecting something faithful, which the Constantine TV series is much more faithful, it's really not bad. I did not mind it at all. There's a lot of bad CG in it. Uh, it doesn't look great visually. It's a little too dark and you know uh, pastel scale, I guess. But I've always enjoyed the film, so I'm not gonna knock it in the least. Uh, anything you want to say about this one? Yeah, yeah, it's like one of Keanu Reeves' multitude of comebacks. I mean, just, you know, did, he did a bunch of things like, yeah, 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 and then he did Speed, like, holy shit, this guy's brilliant in Speed. It's brilliant. But I say brilliant because here you have someone who you wouldn't associate with something we call rote. It's it's a it's a common theme. It's, it's just like very little you can do with that. And somehow between the director, who we didn't associate normally with something cool, and an actor who we didn't associate with something cool, and all of a sudden, oh shit! And then Keanu kind of slipped a little bit. Then he did The Matrix, and like holy shit! And then he slipped a little bit, and then he did this, and I was like, well, this is odd. It's not entirely successful, but it's weird. And of course, we're up to John Wick ever, where it's like Keanu's like fucking god now. I mean, I I seen John Wick like hey, this is not bad. I seen John Wick too, like this is insane. So I don't know. Now Francis Lawrence. Yeah, I, I agree. He came out of nowhere, and he did this. And he, he's had some missteps, but something he did that I really, really like. And I actually talked to a couple of people who really liked this property. The Last Man on Earth. He, when he did the Will Smith one, 80% of that picture is so close to the book. Yes, the Will Smith picture. <laughs> that I like this director, and I, I will always give him a shot. Now, he's got a, he's had trouble, though. He's 
been trying to get these weird ass properties like Alex Price. Remember Alex Price from The Crow in the Dark City? Dark City is a fucking fantastic movie. Alex Price was trying to do a movie about the battle between Gabriel and, and Satan on Earth. Mm-hmm. Who's going to finance that? If you research on Google, you will find every major name actor signed on to that, and then it got delayed, delayed, delayed. Also, you know, Alex Price's problem is his lead actor got shot in the chest and died on his picture. Uh, Brandon, Brandon Lee. Mm-hmm. So, you know, trying to get movies made is a little difficult. Oh, yeah, you want to make this movie? Oh, wait. We can't, we I'm can't still waiting for Schwarzenegger to do that Doc Savage movie. <laughs> you and me both. Then it was The Rock. Yep. Then what happened? At this point, where we're segueing again, if the predator does well, because I know that uh, what's his name? <sighs> Shit, help, help me out. <laughs> the guy who did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Um, oh yeah. He wrote and he's been trying to get on board a Dark Savage reboot, and I just think he hasn't had a hit that they would throw a lot of money behind a Doc Savage picture. So I understand it's not dead yet, but if the Predator, kind of like the new one that's coming out, like, I don't know, next week, this week, whatever. If it doesn't make money, then we're back to whatever. Square one. <laughs> yeah. So we we may, I don't know, Doc Savage is a tough property. It is, it is. And they really boffed it up back in the 74 there with Ron Eli. Not that he was a bad Doc Savage, but the film itself is so campy. You can't do it like that. You can't do it like that. You have to have an understanding of the property. You have to have an understanding of the books and the novels and a feel. And like, who was it? Michael Anderson or whatever it was? It's like, who? you have to really understand noir and pulps and serials and the books you have to get it you know there's a difference between reverence for the property and just basically understanding it and saying okay well at least you should go somewhere near that kind of like we just talked about constantine it was not true to the comics but there was a lot about it that but was it worked and right, it worked. right 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 so like dark savage yeah, actually, why are we talking about Doc Savage? Well, in a way, it's related to what we're doing. That was a property that was like pulps and cereals. It was never a cereal, which I'm surprised at, actually. It was very yeah, me popular. Too. Me too. And yet, the one lone movie that they ever made, which is complete, like, what is this? Yeah, and Not- they even had a radio show back in the 30s, which is mostly lost. That was totally untrue to the character and fucked up. They actually did a couple of iterations of that. And then they did have one that was correct, but it was like an NPR thing in the 80s. In the mid-80s, look it up, any of you are OTR fans. Doc Savage did do two stories, Thousand-Headed Man and Fear Key, and yeah. really good stuff. Really, really good right. stuff. Right, I mean, but... the, cast for, and the cast for that movie wasn't off terribly mm-hmm. it's in terms of physicality. Oh, no, they looked right. They looked right, but it was just like... Play for comedy. Well, you know, that's the thing, though. Was it really played for comedy? It was like, at that point, at this... Oh, God. 74, 75. 74, yeah, you're right. There was a a time period where camp and comedy did not meet at the same train station. Yes. So if you missed that train, you had to wait. So I'm not quite sure. That movie is almost always has been and always will be unwatchable. Why do you think? <laughs> well, it's uh, yeah. I that's... actually love the film. I've seen it many times. The problem is not even Captain C's with all that cheesiness and that big fight they have at the end where he go through the yeah. the different the martial arts that Doc and him are doing. Okay, fine, whatever. And the Batman style fight on the the ship that everybody has, which is ridiculous. 
But the problem is the guy that runs the uh, tin pot South American country that sleeps mm. in a crib. I'm like, what the fuck is it? It comes off of like 60s sitcom TV, like uh, an episode of The Addams Family yeah. or something. It's oh So you're God. being much much more kind. I, I just think they didn't understand the property. Yeah. And they, um, it was a mess. So hopefully <laughs> somebody has a better, hey, you know what? If The Rock does it, Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson does it, okay, I'll accept that. I think the guy's smart. I think the guy looks like him. He could definitely pull off the ripped shirt thing that James Obama did for the covers. <laughs> no, really, seriously though, I I think if if he would do it, I think it's bankable. But you just got to get the right supporting cast and the right director. Yeah. So um, then we get to, and this is kind of where, if you think my DC movies have been savage so far, this is where they really get savage, and where Ouch. I even actually stop watching them. So a lot of these I won't even have seen. Just I'm like, I'm not gonna fucking watch that. DC movies suck. So here we go to Batman Begins with Christopher Nolan. A lot of people love it. You were apparently one of them for what you said. Christian Bale takes over the role. This is where that thing gets really deep. Like, really? Come on. And then, of course, they copy that over for Arrow and all these other superhero shows. Any DC superhero show? I saw a meme the other day. I forgot what the hell it was from. It's actually some Marvel thing, and they were making a gag about, like, it's like, what are you from, a DC movie? What the hell is this? (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Have you seen this? Batman Begins? Yeah, I saw enough of it, and I walked away. My wife watched the whole thing. I'm like, yeah. Really? Really? Uh, Michael Caine's in it. Uh, Liam Neeson's in it. Uh, Gary Oldman's in it. I mean, these are big names. Rucker Howard's in it. It's just, I don't know. It did not do anything for me. Was this the one with Rosal Ghul in it? With the whole origin story? Yeah, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know... Go ahead, because you're the big fan. Morgan Freeman's in the damn thing, and so is uh, Ken Watanabe. I mean, these are names you know, and yet here they are in this film. Right. That, all right, you know, I'm sure you're going to defend it to the end. A lot of people love it. I just didn't see any merit in it. It's just I don't. Know. I, I really don't like grim and gritty. That was never my comic style. You know, I come from an earlier era when it was like, yes, we love stuff like, you know, Master of Kung Fu or the Doug Munch one that he did with Gene Day and all that, and Paul Galassi. Or, of course, you know, the X-Men, especially the Byrne Claremont era when they were doing things like Proteus and the Hellfire Club, when it was really adult, adult stuff, no, I remember dark. That. I remember mean, that, yeah. Stuff that still resonates to this day that works as literature. Forget about his fucking comic books. And yet, when they got into the 80s and Alan Moore and all the Brits brought over that grim and gritty shit, I'm, I'm with Alan Moore nowadays. I hate that shit. I think it's juvenile. I think it's very teenage. It's kind of like the Liefeld thing where everybody's got to have giant muscles or whatever the hell and prove how big their dick is. It, it's, it's almost like Donald Trump walking around. Like, you know, I'm, I'm an old fat guy and a loser, but I've got to have somebody that's got giant muscles and a big dick to represent me. You know, that's why i got these towers going to the sky and I'm living this delusionary alternate reality where I'm always right and everybody's out to get me. Yeah, sure. It, I really hate this. It feels very juvenile. How do I follow that up? You bastard. So, <laughs> <laughs> you had to get Trump into this. Well, no. I, you see won't come with him and tell you, That's what I'm saying. At the risk of having a kung fu fight with you, <laughs> I, I actually like Batman Begins. I, I thought it was... It's not as good as the later ones. It's interesting. It's it's like, yeah, you know, like everything else in that franchise, like, Okay, we have Christian Beale, a guy I would never have considered. And Christopher Nolan's a weird director who to this day remains a weird <laughs> director. Uh, his best picture is, is Inception. I will defend that. I love Inception. I, I think it's like a great mashup of 
being on masculine for a couple of days and watching on your majesty's secret service for like three hours at a time which is probably once right so <laughs> no i like christopher nolan i think he's very quirky fucking wacko and everybody knows it i think christian bale was a, a weird choice he's what you know he's like our american de niro well he's de niro's american he is. <laughs> oh he's our oh Wait, let's roll it back. He's our British De Niro. Because Christian Bale is British. Which is funny. How fucking funny is this? Okay, Lewis is going to straighten this out. How fucking funny is this? When you watch an interview with Christian Bale, he's got the thickest British accent in the world. It's like, wait a minute. I just saw him as like, this guy, that guy, that guy. Weirdly enough, he's... Why did I name-check De Niro? Like De Niro did in Raging Bull, where he gained a lot of weight. Christian Bale is like one of those actors that were like... That terrible movie, The Machinist, which is probably the worst movie that that good director made. He went to like 110 pounds, and he looked skeletal. And now he's playing Dick Cheney in the movie, and he gained like 150 pounds. It's like, who's going to see this movie anyway? But beside that... I thought he was fine as Batman. The decision to be guttural and electronically voiced with the deep thing, I don't know. It was okay. I was okay with that. Great to see Michael Caine as Alfred because Alfred Go had passed. Morgan Freeman, you know, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with everything. I enjoyed it. It was a little bit laborious because they had to introduce something. They knew. Well, I didn't know until three years later that Christopher Nolan was pre-planning this trilogy i i liked it i liked it uh, the other ones i liked a lot so right on its heels comes one that it's a problematic film but it was a problematic comic series we talked about Alan Moore just a minute ago b for vendetta this is actually one of the series he did that i liked a lot at least in the original run that he did in warrior back in uh, the uk and what happened was, of course, there was a lot of problems with Warrior and the guy that ran the magazine. And you'll hear a lot from British artists and writers who were involved with him. But when they came over here and got uh, scoped out by Dick Giordano for DC Comics back in the 80s, that brought that whole grim and gritty thing over, a lot of these properties kind of got dropped. And in the case of V, somebody decided to tell Moore, hey, why don't you go pick this one up? And I didn't like where it went. Let's just say that the beginning is not where the ending went and leave it at that so this movie kind of follows suit with that where you're not really entirely sure whether v is the good guy or the bad guy even though in the beginning and on the quickest cursory look he is definitely the hero the society which is very orwellian is the villain there are issues with that especially when you get late into the comic you know the revival stuff that he did later on in the 80s which finishes the series again it appears in this film so I'm kind of mixed on the film, but overall, I still liked it a lot, comparatively. It feels very 1984, and it should. Natalie Portman, and probably the only role that she wasn't totally embarrassing herself. <laughs> Fellow named Hugo Weaving, I'd never heard of him as V. Matrix, Matrix, Matrix. Really? I didn't even know that. Lord of the, Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay, there you go. <laughs> Shows how much I pay attention to that. Stephen Ray is in this one. Okay, you know him. John Hurt's in it. And he is, again, going back to the 1984 thing, there he is. Winston yes. slash Big Brother. That was another interesting thing about that movie, coming back to 1984. Uh, Stephen Fry is in this, the uh, British comedian. Again, a problematic film, but I did think it worked. Nowadays, I hear people don't like it. At the time, I thought they did. Uh, so, again, it's very mixed. You know, what you take from it is kind of 
representative of who you are and where you stand political socially at the time. Let's put it that way. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of memes circulating uh, on social media oh, the nowadays. Kids are all the masks, with, yeah. yeah, with with images from the film and images of the I think mask. it's misappropriated, but okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I would agree with you there too. But I, it's interesting. Like, okay, his picture a couple of years old. And suddenly I'm like, wow, if there was this much interest in this movie. When it was out. <laughs> when it was out. That's true. This would have been like fucking huge. That's true. Huge. Huge. But it's a Donald Trump thing, folks. <laughs> um, it wasn't huge. Well, the director of this movie was a, I don't know, an assistant AD or something. Mm-hmm. He was a guy, uh, maybe a stunt director. He was somebody who wasn't like an auteur. And they handed him this. He's done all the work since. Uh, very similar-ish in a way. But I wasn't, personally, I wasn't that thrilled with this film because I found that... I saw it in the theater, too. I, 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 I found that they wanted to be direct, but they, <laughs> they yeah. cheated. They couldn't be direct as they wanted exactly. to be. This was if put out during the Bush any years. Sense to you. This was put out during the Bush years. Realize that. Yeah, yeah. If that makes any sense to anyone... It's like a movie that wanted to be politically direct and loyal to the source matter. Realize it couldn't be, so you're like, ah, oh, oh. Yeah, it was supposed to be about resistance and, in a way, anarchism per se, but definitely in resistance to what was going on at the time, which is a very dark time in American politics and global politics. No comparison to where we're going now, but at the time, it was very, very dark. It was the darkest we had been. And it was, you know, the statement that here is the resistance, if you will, and that's why these kids are appropriating it wrongly. But again, like I said, it depends on where you're standing, and it's problematic. V is not the kind of hero, if you will, that you can stand behind and say... Oh, yes, I'm I, I'm here totally, because it's like, well, yeah, but uh, I don't know about that part, you know, that, that kind of a thing. And maybe that's why it works as a film, too, because it makes you think, and it makes you decide where do you really stand, and if you're not, like, fucked up in the head, that issues are not black and white in the real world. There's always a measure of, yeah, but, and that's where you kind of... As you grow up and be an adult, if people do even nowadays, uh, you discover that you're really kind of treading some form of a middle ground, whether you swing left or swing right. If you're sane, you're always somewhere in the sphere of middleness. So it's like, okay, yes, but in this situation, that. You know, otherwise, you're going Stalinist, like I'm actually seeing some kids do, uh, or you're going Hitler, like we're seeing a lot of people do, adult and otherwise, which is sad. But nonetheless, uh, that's kind of the reality is. And that's, I think, what the film's problematic nature brings out is like, yeah, but he's not really a hero. It's just mm-hmm. some of it was dead right and some of it was dead wrong. So, So moving on. We get to Superman Returns, which is another one of those ones like uh, Batman Returns, where I was like, uh, and my wife wisely, after my reaction to the first one, uh, the Batman one, mostly watched it herself. I did see a little bit of it, and I was like, really? This guy is Superman? This was before Brandon Ruth got involved in uh, Legends of Tomorrow and was originally a guest star in The Flash. And I got to like him as the geeky Adam, the Ray Palmer. Here he was just like, a really fucking strange choices for Superman. I mean, tall, gawky, nerdy, big eyes that clearly you know should be behind glasses if they aren't normally. You know, he's almost got fish eyes, like uh, Emma Stone. <laughs> the ends with look, people. The ends with look. Uh, but but no, I mean, he just really looks kind of nerdy. It doesn't really fit the role. 
people like Kate Bosworth and Kevin Spacey before he got disgraced, James Marsden, the world's most <laughs> annoying fucking character in history, Cyclops, Parker Posey, the weirdo from the 80s. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I, I saw enough of it to say, why are you watching this shit? And then left the room kind of thing. <laughs> or did something else on the internet. Well, what I think they wanted to do was, we thought we were getting a new Superman reboot. And what we got instead was a continuation of the Christopher Reeve film. And not even all of them, but going back to the first two. Going back to the first two. So we got a guy resembled them. You think so, really? No, he did. Yeah, I think so. And then what we did was we tried to fill in holes that we didn't even think about. And this is the problem with this movie. Because remember in Superman 2, we know that Superman and Lois did it, you know, like, did it so in this movie like we already know they did it and like you know Lois is like well we had a kid and then you suddenly the, see this why this movie is problematic you have suddenly you had to think back to a picture from 1982 oh right yeah they did it so she has a kid with Superman and then blah 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 blah, blah. now this is one of the first pictures uh, in the well, this is the only picture directed by Brian Singer from Warner Brothers in the Superman canon. Only one. I guess Kevin Spacey was supposed to be the Gene Hackman who was retired by then. It's got a lot of problems, but at the same time, dude, I don't hate it as much as other people do. I know there's a lot of hate. You seem to dislike it. Yeah. But I don't dislike the guy. I don't dislike the cast. I, I, I think it's weird. That how do I say this? I've tried to talk about this film every couple of years. I think it's weird that they made a sequel to a movie twenty something years later mm-hmm. with a different cast, mm-hmm. trying to reference the particular film where they left off and expect everybody to get on board with it. Yeah, especially the whole thing with him having a kid and it was, had a much more serious tone to it. Right, it right, just, right. I mean, but there's some there's some really nice gung ho stuff in there. You know, like the, I think a Shea Stadium, Yankee Stadium, whatever fuck stadium it is, when there's like a plane plummeting to the stadium in New York, and he's like trying to prevent that from coming in, and uh, that was well done. There's a lot of well done stuff with it. Kevin Spacey was never a right choice for that kind of. Oh, you mm-hmm. need somebody even more over the top. His personal stuff aside. You know, the actresses were fine. I thought it's it's just like I wouldn't have mind if they did another one with him, but that being said, they decided not to. I think eh, in a way personally I think it was an affront to the guy. Like give him another chance. Let another director come in. Let's see what we can build on from here. But instead, the guy got screwed. Yeah. There was no more of that. It was a one-off. It became a one-off, literally, until uh, Henry came in. I I think it has a lot of potential. I don't think it's as bad as for me. It's not as bad for me as as as, as it was for you. And 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 I just think they made a lot of weird miscalculations because yeah. well yeah like okay. They put in Brian Singer, who did a couple of X-Men films yes. at that point. And they probably figured he's the first, he's the finest guy to reboot this franchise. And they found a guy who's fit and fine. They sent him to the gym, which is, you know, again, as I said earlier, bar for the is the way you do. And yet, casting was a little off. Mm-hmm. But then they decided, 
let's make this a direct sequel to the second film. And you know, you you could do that if it's three years later, four years later, five years later. If you get the same cast back 20 years later, it might work, might, but capital M-I-G-H-T. Mm-hmm. You cannot do that with an entirely different fucking cast 20 years later. And again, you know, I'm not going to bring Ruth a little bit in this role, but I yeah. like them as the Adam. I said it before and I'll say it again. There's You're no dead. problem there. Right. And the other problem is right off the bat, you mentioned Brian Singer. That was something I had against it before the film even got made. It's like, why did they take him off the X-Men? Because you saw what happened with X3. It was a piece of shit. And it was the one that's supposed to bring Dark Phoenix in. And it was the one that attempted and failed to bring in a lot of other elements that it shouldn't have brought in. And I don't think it would have been the clusterfuck that it was if Brian Singer was still on it. He could have made a proper Dark Phoenix film. And I don't mean this one that they're trying to make that. I don't know how that's going to turn out. You know, fingers crossed, but I don't have a lot I of hope know, for they're, it. They're in like, the, as far as I know, they're like the fifth, yeah. their fifth version of reshoots. And that was when it was under Fox, and now Marvel took over Fox, and it's like, I don't yeah. know. Who yeah, knows? I saw the other day, like, reshoots going on. That like, wow, again? Yeah, somebody actually had a conspiracy theory online that it may never come out. I don't know about that, but, you know, it, it doesn't look that promising. Let's put it that way. It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> you know, and it should have been made back then by Brian Singer. And, it, you know, whether it was great or just average, who knows? It's all postulative. But, you know, why did he leave to make this fucking film? <laughs> well, you know what? We might be in the era of Brian Singer blowback, too. Whatever is going on that's being kept a little hush-hush. I mentioned that Queen thing before. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's possible something's going on in the world of yeah. Hollywood and stuff we don't know about. Holly weird. So, uh, yeah, what's next? So next up is The Dark Knight, which everybody loves, and I'm sure you will too. Um, <laughs> Thank let's you. put my problem here is actually what everybody loves about it is unfortunately the poor guy died right after this. Uh, nothing to do with the film. It had to do with some kind of mixture of prescription drugs or something. No, as far as I, we all heard, he's not a druggie. It wasn't his own fault. There's just something that happened, unfortunate incident. But he. I really did not like Heath Ledger's Joker. I'm sorry. I know the fanboys will crucify me for that one, but it, Jack Nicholson's Joker was strange, but I got it. I understand what he was going for. The, later, the Jared Leto one. Okay, I didn't really go for the braces, but in the context of Suicide Squad, I'm working with Harley Quinn, who is a cartoon character in mind. It worked well enough. Uh, Heath's... I don't know what he was going for. I mean... It's not like, no, it doesn't work at all. Yes, he gets psychotic across, but there's a little bit too much of Jack in there and not enough of, I don't know what. It just, it seemed wrong to me in so many levels. It reminded me of, like, he was trying to cross the Jack Nicholson Joker with a Rob Zombie character. You know, I was like, what the fuck is this? I was not comfortable with it. And I don't mean in the sense of, oh, wow, what a great performance. It's like... I don't know about this fucking film, really. Uh, and, of course, I still didn't like, Christian Bale going around like this with his stupid voice. Gary Oldman's in it again. Who else was in this thing? Oh, Anthony Michael Hall, who was in all his teen sex comedies in the 80s, like uh, Weird Science and stuff like that. Ah, uh, but he sounded sound recognizable, so it doesn't matter. You know, that's basically it for me. Uh, oh, you know, you. I did not oh. care for the film. I saw it, and I was like... 
Yeah, I don't know about this one. I mean, if there wasn't so much hype, I probably could have forgiven it. It's like, yeah, it's a typical bad DC film. But everybody's all praising the high heaven, especially after the poor guy died. And all of a sudden now it becomes a cause celeb, kind of like Burt Reynolds. And where it's like, uh, oh, everybody's, oh, he's so great, he's so great. When five minutes ago they said, God, he's an asshole. Uh, you know, just because they died. And I've always been kind of offended by that. It's like, really? You've got to die for everybody to like you? you know? Yeah, you said Burt was an asshole. Well, he, he, yeah, yeah, he was an asshole. But, you know, he's dead now, so what are you going to say? You know, he did do a couple of good roles. I enjoyed him in Gator, you know. Uh, there was one or two of his White, cop movies I liked. But... White Lightning. White Lightning. Yeah, you know, same thing. Gator was the one before, uh, after that, the sequel. Uh, wait, wait, wait. So Dark Knight. I love that movie. I knew it. <laughs> wait, why? Because I think Heath Ledger's absolutely brilliant in it. I, yeah, I, I, I don't know where you're coming from with this, but it's okay. It's your interpretation. It's your opinion. I did not know what to expect. I did not know what this guy's doing. He's definitely not doing Jack. He's definitely not doing... I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. I think that's, that's the beauty of the Heath Ledger as the Joker in this film. Uh, personally, I I have no idea where he's coming from. I have no idea where he's going. I don't... You know, they say what an actor takes from when he's doing something. Yeah. Like, uh, when an actor does something, you, you can't just do something. You have to take from something, you know, think of this, think of that. That's that's what acting is about. I, I have no idea where Heath Ledger came up with this stuff. What was the catchphrase? Smile a little. <laughs> Smile a little, or, or there's, there's money that he did. I, I wonder how much of his stuff was actually improvised, probably quite a bit. He's twisted, he's demonical. I thought he was really good. Uh, he died during production. Yes, as you as you cited, they were able to finish this. It's like, wow, okay, cool. Now, same thing with the crow. With a, I yeah, name checked earlier. I, I like this. You know, it's, you know, Christian Bale as Batman. Yeah, of course he has to disguise his voice, but he still has. And I think they even amplified it more in this picture. He's like this. Well, one of the world's richest men, and you know he has to. He it makes it more obvious in this movie. He has to play at being the playboy. He has to play at being this guy. But he really loves this girl who he grew up with, who now fell in love with the DA. And then what happens? This guy becomes Harvey Dent, Two Face. And it was interesting to see how that played out, because you see, I think one of the problems that people have with this movie is very long. <laughs> yes. We have this whole thing, a really good performance by uh, Aaron Eckert, I believe. Really good performance there as, like, this Schlemiel becomes, like, this good guy. And it's like, okay, we start getting on board with that. And he becomes the guy who, like, won the girl from the rich guy. And we kind of get on board with that. Then he becomes disfigured, a disfigured fucking psycho fuck. And we kind of get on board with that. And then he becomes even... See, here's the thing. More twisted than the Joker. If you're on board with the film, you're like, "Whoa, that's pretty far." Really interesting. I think this is this is a guy who's never received his due in the movies. He's he's like the literally he should be Dick Tracy, the square jawed. Y'all, he was never a character actor. Y'all was like try to make him a leaving man kind of guy, and uh, he's done a couple of things, uh, quite a few things actually. You know, quite a few leading man roles, and and. I, I, I just like this movie and, and as we get closer and closer and closer to the end 
great Hans Zimmer score. I, I love the score to this thing. I really like it. And uh, you probably hate the third one, which I thought was like, wow, this is so <laughs> dark. So dark. I didn't even watch the third one because of that, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> it was like, you know, well, maybe it's a, it's a, it's a sight into my psyche. But it's so dark. Uh, I I really like this film. I I really recommend this film. Well, I I don't have to. You either like it or you don't. Yeah, most people love it's, it. So it's got a, it's got a reputation. Yeah, uh, but see, that's the thing though. It's not a it's not a commercialized fan favorite movie. And that's the thing why I'm really curious why you didn't like it because there are a lot of things that we do share in common. Oh yeah. In, in terms yeah. of likes and dislikes. And hearing what you said when you introduced it, I'm just really... It just didn't work for me. His Joker did not work for me at all. Yeah, I, I, I just kept hearing this town needs an enema, but done with like more of a straight face and like trying, and you don't, to, be, and you, you trying to be more like, psychotic and scary, and it didn't work. And you didn't like Christian Bale coming in? No, again, it's, a then, lot of it is so the voice like, and, you know... But yeah, I mean... I'm not sure what it is, well, but DC movies tend to put me off, especially nowadays. Well, okay, okay. Next. So, speaking of which, next nice. we get The Watchmen, which, again, problematic, Whoa. problematic property. This was Alan Moore, Victor Daniel brought him over here, said, hey, we just got the license to all these Charlton characters. Do something different with them. I'll give you a free license to do something. And he says, well, why don't we just kill them all off? He's like, you can't do that. We just spent all this money to buy these characters. So he made very close analogs to these characters. Like, don't use them, actually. Just make close analogs. So they pull up things like Captain Adam and the Blue Beetle and the Question, which is a proto-Mr. A, if anybody knows Ditko. Uh, so you know how far this is going. Sarge Steel, those crappy characters that they had over there. You know, as a series, it was one of the original grim and gritty things that kind of kicked off that whole nonsense back when. wasn't as bad as the killing joke but same idea but you know it's still really good comics i hate to say literature but you know it's it's kind of pushing it it's very literary and self-referential and whatever else as a film well Zack snyder's directing it which may be part of the problem it does do enough that is faithful to the original miniseries that you could say well yeah, he, it wasn't a horrible job. It wasn't like Catwoman or something, where they totally went off the rails and just, you know, do whatever the fuck they wanted to do. But I don't know. I mean, I did like a few of these people. This, there's a no-name, uh, Melon Ackerman, who did uh, The Silk Spectre. There are people that are in the middle, like this guy Jackie Earl Haley, whoever he is, that did Rorschach. Oh, bad, bad News Spears. Is he really? <laughs> bad News Spears. <laughs> Billy Crudup, you know, he's, he's there as the voice of the CG Dr. Manhattan, which was just embarrassing. You know, Billy. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, does it really work? I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll give it that it's trying to be faithful to the original series. Is it a great mm. film? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. I don't hate it like I hate a lot of DC movies, but it's just... Eh, I guess you watch it once every ten years if you're lucky and say, yeah, well, I saw it. Well, you're going to divorce <laughs> me. Uh, I really like this movie. I I think it's one of the most faithful, I think, it's one of the most faithful adaptations. It does drive. Yeah. graphic novel. Yeah, it really does well. Come on. you got a twisted graphic novel series. Mm -hmm. You know, condensed into... Version for those of you who didn't buy the various issues, 
It's dark. It's, it's adult. It's uh, it's adult. People die. People that are supposed to be heroes become villains. You know, people that are supposedly heroes are villains. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's thrown we, we, in there. And, and there's a, you know, in, in in the nearly three hours yes. uh, of the screen time, and we're not even talking the director's cut, which is a little bit longer. Uh, yeah, we're touching on everything, like from Watergate to Vietnam, to, mm-hmm. and I think. You know, a lot of people hate Zack Snyder. I don't hate Zack Snyder. I think he did a fine fucking job with this. Who else would? You know, like, who's this guy before then? I don't know. I don't care. I, it's a fine film. Jeffrey Dean Morgan, perfect as a comedian. Yeah, you know, but look, Dark to Midnight. That's a problematic character. As oh, yeah. It's, it's, you know, he's a god, right? Pretty much. He's like the vision gone, you know, like I said, godlike. <laughs> godlike, yeah. He's, he's like the vision gone godlike. What do you do with that? And and so I think they did as best as they could. I mean, being there was a, a, a feature film, mm-hmm. there were things they couldn't do, I, I, despite the long running time, because they just couldn't do them. Because yeah. how dark can we go? Yeah, that's you know, the thing. There's that, too. Yeah, they went very, very dark. I like this movie a lot. I, I personally, I, I think it's one of, as I've said, one of the best transformations of a graphic novel to a movie. They definitely um, tried. There's no question about that. You know, oh, it's successful. I, I mean, really, you know, I, I can't say they failed. A lot of things just don't work. Yeah. Terrible. We, we discussed some things that are just like, that didn't work. That didn't work. I think this worked, and and um, bringing up Zack Snyder, I he's the guy. I'm not sure where he's at. I don't know much about him as a person. He definitely went crazy uh, <laughs> with the um, what was that one uh, with all the girls in the asylum that thinking they were superheroines. In the alternate universe, which I kind of liked because I've never seen anything like that. And it was also almost a career killer. Because <laughs> I gave him a lot of money and it got released too. And then it got Man of Steel. I like Watchmen. Everybody has issues with Watchmen. Mm-hmm. You know, there are hardcore Alan Moore fans mm-hmm. who have issues with Watchmen. And uh, I'm a hardcore fan of Watchmen. I will say that it's not like Leave Extraordinary Gentleman or something like that. They actually did try to be faithful. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, and, and League, is, League is an issue problem, too, because I like the director. I, I don't think it's totally flake. And the cast was decent. You know, we know Connery fought with... Well, we know from hindsight that Connery fought with the director on that film, but we don't know what that was about. And at the same time, we don't know if that's something that I brought up much earlier in this podcast. If it was a popular graphic novel series that the studio thought they could make into a franchise. Instead, you've got a director who's probably well-versed in the graphic novels and wanted to make something with the spirit. And then maybe Connery was thinking franchise. I'm trying to be fair to everybody here. Maybe Connery was thinking franchise. I thought we should like hold back on the weirdness, but he, sh- you know, if, if I I have the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen books, and it's weird, like just like Watchmen is weird. 
in a different way. Yeah, but it's trying to be 18th century, which is actually nice about it. I actually, in a way, prefer right. it to Watchmen in terms of the book, but in terms of the film, oof. that was actually the one where the famous anecdote I quote a lot, where the the yuppie was outside talking to his friends, like everything Sean Connery's in is good, and we laugh like hell before the movie even started. <laughs> well, well, I I think this might have been a thing with the studio. Yeah, you know? it was a mess. I, yeah, yeah, it's like, again, I don't know, I don't have any first-hand knowledge, but I think this is probably a picture that was delivered to them, and they were probably like, oh, I don't think we can do this in between stores of Coke. So, <laughs> I, you know, they, they probably retooled it, and... Um, and I actually said 18th century, I meant 19th century, 1800s, but yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I still find League entertaining yeah it's in its own weird just, way it is entertaining yeah it's just yeah. a strange film it's entertaining in the way that Van Helsing is entertaining <laughs> oh uh, what that, that's a thing so <laughs> now here things go even more questionable and again nobody really disputes this Jonah Hex Green Lantern which even Ryan Reynolds made fun of in Deadpool 2 uh, right. and maybe Deadpool 1 as well Jonah Hex was almost like a made-for-TV movie. It was that kind of in-and-out-of-theaters, if it even was in damn theaters. It was. Yeah, I mean, it was very, very forgettable. Uh, Josh Brolin is in it. Who Everybody seems to love when he's not even there as Gumby, I mean Thanos, in uh, the crappy Avengers movie. Which is another story. We'll get to that next time. John Malkovich is in this. It, you know, being John Malkovich, okay, is a big thing back in the 90s. Megan Fox, okay, everybody thought she was like the hottest girl on Earth for a while. She was a good-looking girl. Michael Fassbender. I mean, these are names that people really know. And yet the movie is... I, honestly, I don't even fucking remember it, and I know I saw it. So it says a lot right there. Which is the same case with Green Lantern, which was Ryan Reynolds made a couple of really bad flops in his transition from romantic comedies like The Proposal to stuff like... Or even things like Blade uh, 3, which we'll get to, which I liked him in a lot to stuff like that horrible Wolverine Origins movie, uh, where he was sort of a proto-Deadpool, to this Green Lantern film, which was abominable. And I was sort of half looking forward to it. It was like, oh, okay, I used to like the character a lot. You well, know, whatever. They, they had Carol Ferris in it. They had, um, okay, they got to make him politically correct, but they had Pie Face in it. I was like, okay, let's, let's see this thing. This might actually work. Whew! <laughs> well, we... I don't think the whole world knows what happened with Greenland. Well, Jonah Hex first. Yeah. Let me address that. Uh, it was never, it was never like anybody's go-to comic. No. And it's like, why would you make a movie of this? It was so weird that they would. Yeah. And they they did, and they had like a list cast, and um, I don't remember who the director was, but it was just like, it didn't work. It didn't work. It was sort of like somebody named Jimmy Hayward. Yeah. What happened to him? It was sort of like. Let's go for the gusto, but yet pull back when the studio says, well, it's too much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's sort of like, okay, in one, in one aspect, it's nice that someone takes a weird-ass property that's very dark. You know, we just discussed Watchmen. Mm-hmm. It's very dark, like Jonah Hex, Western evilness, scarred, disfigured as fuck. It's You're trying to be a spaghetti Western, but didn't quite work. Well, yeah. And, and and yet it's like it's not it's not a property that's could appeal to anyone who didn't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, weird Western um, comics. That was literally the comic he was in originally. Like, really? Who bought that? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, I I got a couple of 
shoulder hexes over the years, you know, which I no longer have, and I'm stupid for not keeping hold of them because I'd be a rich man now. Yeah. Nice Tony Zaniga art, that's about it. At the same time, it did, it got made, and it just there was no audience for that, yeah. and there was no positive acclamation. Now, Green Lantern was is probably one of the biggest mysteries. What went wrong with that? You got Martin Campbell who rebooted Bond twice mm-hmm. to acclaim. He's a really good director in the latter part of his career, and so he probably was a natural choice. He did a fine job with the uh, Zorro movies, so he's not a bad choice. But, and Ryan Reynolds is not a bad choice no, either. Not at all. I, it's just like something went wrong. Yeah. And and we don't know what went wrong. wrong. I don't think anybody knows what went wrong. <laughs> and um, it just didn't work. That whole Hector Hammond thing and the, I, I don't know. Yeah, just, yeah. Friggin' Tim Robbins is in it. <laughs> Angel Bassett Hound's in it. <laughs> there you go again. I, it's sometimes it's like if you throw enough money against the wall, it doesn't stick. It's like throwing uh, clay against the wall. Or Silly Putty. Remember Silly Putty? Yes, I do. Silly Putty used to be this like weird thing you would buy in the store. Throwing your quarter, 50 cents, and you get this thing. You put on something. Oh, there, there's my image from a comic strip or yep. uh, a screw magazine. Mm. So, you know, <laughs> I got this thing, you know. But um, then what do you do? You just like scrunch it up and it's gone and it's like clay and it's like you put it over something else, you rub it really hard. No, not that. And you rub it really hard and it's like, hey, I got the image. And then, oh, it's dear. That was like that gloop. Do you remember gloop? Yeah, you put like the quarter of 50 cents in the machine. Doop, 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 and this little plastic thing would come out and it was this squeezable glop. And you would squeeze it through your fingers and we would like, and be different colors. Like, and I think you could throw it on the walls and it would kind yeah. of you know, crawl its way down. <laughs> plop, but plop, then plop, you would plop. think, what do I do with this? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. And it smelled weird. It was like weird. Yep. Gelatinous glop. That's probably what they call it. Glop. It's probably but banned anyway. for being toxic. <laughs> it is. And it was. So, yo, we had this Green Lantern movie, which was like, should have worked, didn't work. And it was like, Boom. Suddenly Martin Campbell was not bankable anymore. Uh, suddenly Ryan Reynolds was on the shit. You know, the villain, uh, whatever his name was, Mark. Uh, a lot of people were suddenly doing, like, they had to struggle their way back to doing bankable stuff. Yep. I don't know why this was such a bomb of huge proportions, but... It just was. It was like Catwoman. It was that bad. Yeah, but, I mean, it shouldn't have been. That's, that's, I think that's what I'm trying to get at. I just don't know what happened. Nobody knows what happened. They're trying to this day. There's always rumors of, hey, we're going to do it again. Maybe we'll use him. Maybe we'll <laughs> use somebody. Well, not. I don't know. think he's going to come back and do that one after last time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, very interesting. So the one that you had hinted at earlier, Dark Knight Rises, once yes. again, Christopher Nolan, another Christian Bale, Gary Oldman's in it again, and Hathaway, strange choice for Catwoman. You know, she's attractive enough, but she's kind of more geek chic than Catwoman. Tom Hardy, of all people, as Bane. Okay. Yeah, and that's part of the problem with this movie. But uh, Marion Cotillard is kind of like a sort of half-assed art house person. Oh, uh, oh. You know. Uh, <laughs> and of all people, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, that obnoxious kid from, wasn't he on the, the Tim Allen show there? What was that? Home oh, but he was really good. No, he was good. <laughs> he was good. So, go ahead. You're the fan of this. Go for it. Ouch. Ouch. 
You're leaving me like lambs for the slaughter right now. No, seriously, this is when I actually said, you know what, I'm not going to waste my time on the fucking DC films. And I stopped. I didn't watch this. I didn't watch Man of Steel. Oh, but go oh, ahead. Oh, you're bastard. No, no, this is really good. I, I really like this. I wasn't sure after The Dark Knight what they were intending to do. And then I saw the running time, which is like, oh, it's longer. Yes. So, and you know, here's the thing. Tom Hardy is a really, really good actor. He's a chameleon. He's one of our finest chameleons. He's not always win against the director and the material, but for the most part, he's very memorable in something. So finding out he's going to be wrapped up behind a mask and his face, uh, voice altered. Okay. Yeah, because at this point, you, you know, one of the few things we saw, we knew of Tom Hardy at this point was his amazing nearly one-man performance called Bronson, where he played this incarcerated real-life criminal throughout his life, which is I highly recommend to anybody. It's interesting because this movie begins with uh, after the Dark Knight, Batman has been down on the DL for years, not being Batman. And he's mansions and ruins, and he's just drinking, and Alfred brings him his food now, and then he has, a, he has somebody makes him some foods while he's not drinking, and he's, he's like a mess. Crime has risen, proliferated. It's sort of like what Trump age is going to be by the next year, you know? <laughs> um, it's just going to be all fucked up. We need a superhero, right? No, you really do. Also, a lot of interesting things in this film. Bruce's back is fucked up from The Dark Knight. Doing all this Batman shit has made him in pain. He's walking with a cane. A lot of interesting character notations in this film. So we have Bane, and there's a, one of the problems people have with this film who watched it is that there's a lot of back-and-forth stuff going on. We know what happens with Bane as a child, maybe, and then Bane as the adult. So it's this hulking, big guy who's built wearing this Bane mask. And then he has a strange connection to Marion Cotillard, who has this role in this film. I, I don't want to spoil for anybody who's not seen it. I really like this movie. The Catwoman thing is going on. Yeah, strange mm -hmm. choice. Catwoman. Michael Caine is really in here. One of his really good later day performances. He's not cashing a check here. He's really doing a thing like, look, Bruce, you're a mess. Your body's shot. If you really want to do something about this, you got to get in shape. you got to stop drinking. And you got to get out there. Otherwise... Stop complaining. And uh, it, there's a lot going on in this film. It's, it's, and it has one of the most bittersweet endings. The, okay, during the, the course of the movie, fucked up things happen. New York gets pretty much destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, they blow up all the bridges. Fucking hundreds of people, maybe thousands get killed. People made prisoners. It's like, what would happen if Trump's people took over? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a different movie. It's a highly underrated movie starring, of all things, all guys, the guy from Guardians, the ex wrestler dude, Dave Bautista, called Bushwick. Great movie. Anyway, that's not this movie. But a lot of shit happens in this film. And by the end, it has a very bittersweet ending. And, and I just like this. And it's like, it's weird, it's messed up, it's fucked up. So what was your feeling about another really dark film, which was Man of Steel with Henry Cavill? I liked Man of Steel. I thought he was an excellent choice. I thought Zack was a good choice. I thought... Uh, you got a lot of big names there. Kevin Costner, Diane Lane, Lawrence Fishburne, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe? Yeah, it's a good film. It's a fine film. A lot of people don't like this movie. A lot of people do. I, I, I think people change their opinion over over time when they go back to it. I, I, think, I think Man of Steel is fine. Toward the end is where it gets problematic. 
you know, you got you've you've got this powerful guy, which is super, and mm. and, and you, you know you know the story, the legend, etc. At this point, and then Michael Shannon is sort of a General Zod type, or maybe General Zod. I forgot. It's been a couple of years, and he's just um you know if you remember General Zod from Superman two, uh, mm-hmm. Terrence Stamp, yeah. he's powerful and he's arrogant, you know. And yep. Superman always has this arc arc of kindness. You know, and when you're dealing with somebody so powerful, so evil, it's just I think a lot a lot of the negativity came from these guys battle it out in the city, buildings crumble, thousands die, and that was some of the negativity. Like look at all the people that died while these guys were fighting to be the champion of people. Well, this is real life. This is what will fucking happen. You know, what do you think was going to happen? The EMS trucks were never met. Cops were never sick. So, if you look at it that way, yes, people die while these guys battle it out. And by the end of the film, you know, Superman is triumphant. And people are like, but look at everybody who died. You didn't save everybody. Well, you have to stop looking at the comic book that you bought. I, I applauded them from, I applauded them personally for doing something that was contemporary to our time. Yeah, that's true. And, and, and it's like, yeah, I can see this. What do you think? It's like, say some someday, one of these big cloudy coming actually disappeared. There's a big, huge fucking saucer. It would be Pence Day. We would be fucked, you know? So <laughs> it's like, if you had two super gods battling out in the city, yes, there would be huge casualties. Nobody's walking away happy. And so I, I liked it for many reasons. I thought Henry Cavill being a British director, very good. They dealt with the Clark... And Superman thing very well. I thought Kevin Costner of all people did really good as a father. I I don't have a fault with the film. I liked it. Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice, a universally hated film that carries a lot of the cast of Man of Steel over, plus some strange choices. Ben Affleck as Batman. What? Jeremy Irons, if I didn't mention him. Holly Hunter, really? Gal Gadot makes her debut as Wonder Woman, and for about maybe three minutes walking around in a museum and then putting her costume on for the last couple of seconds. Who else is in this? Tao Okamoto, who I liked a lot in The Wolverine, shows up here for a couple minutes as Luther's assistant. And that's about it to mention. Of course, it's one of those fucking films with Doomsday in it. Another lame... He was kind of like the bane of Batman. It was like, Really? we got to build somebody that's going to go beat the hell out of Superman and kill him? Really? All right, whatever. Well, no, he's, 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 very, he's, very, he's rarely in it. So what's your Did take you on see it? it? No, uh, again, I was like, no, I'm not going to watch this thing. <laughs> well, you know, it was one of two movies. I'm like, nah. <laughs> I, I recommend you catching up to it at some point because uh, sometimes I say, no, just no. Yeah, right. <laughs> but you know what? I, I'll be brutally honest here. I've seen Ben Affleck do some good work over the years, and so I'm not going to be one of those guys. You know, this is why we do our show. You know, we don't want to fucking trash everybody just for one thing. And, you know, I, I see I see him do enough good work over the years to say, you know what? Let me see. Let me see what this is all about. He didn't do that thing that you hated Christian Bale doing in the Batman yes, series. That's true. That's he true. did not do that. And he did some interesting, nuanced things with his interpretation. That I liked. Now, what became a problem, though, is the things I was just addressing about Man of Steel, like the negativity, not mm-hmm. mine personally, but that, that was out there. Mm-hmm. They kind of, and this is also directed by Zack Snyder, of all right. people, they kind of reinforced that. So since Superman battled this ultra-villain, and lots of people died, he suddenly looked upon, not as a godlike savior, but as someone who should be uh, vilified. Yeah. Yes. 
because he may have been responsible for all these deaths. And I say, no, it's obvious, no. You know, what are you going to do? You got this guy, he's either going to save the world or he's going to lose, not be the cause of the end of the world. You know what I'm well, saying? It's that Civil War bullshit that Marvel was doing. Oh, we should, again, it was a Bush era thing, but we should register all the mutants. We should register all the superheroes right. because the fact that they're there means we're getting super villains and they're destroying mass casualties. Right. Exactly. Or really? Right. No. Right. So you're with me. You're, <laughs> that's what this film was about. I said, I thought. Ben did a fine job. The thing was, right away he came out of the gate, he was like sort of low-key Batman, almost like he was Christian Bale, but a little older. I thought he wasn't too bad. So if you ever get a chance to catch up on it, I thought he wasn't too bad. So now he he's watching all the stuff that Superman died from the previous film, right? And he's also one of the party that he's responsible. But obviously he's not. But so he's sort of like an anti-Superman guy. Yeah, and and so this whole thing builds and and escalates to this point where they they have to include these little things like you know what's what's Bruce Wayne's mother's name, what's Clark Kent's real life birth mother's name, well not birth mother but you know adoptive mother's name, and they yeah. both they're both Martha this kind of thing. They had to they had to build some kind of thing going on. There's some synchronicity between the characters. Gal Gadot shows up, yeah, for like three minutes, and and maybe someone else makes it fleeting appearance but it's not horrible it's it's yeah i should have pinned that i actually saw the last couple of minutes just to see okay i want to see this new wonder woman so yes i did see the last five minutes wherever the hell it was in the movie to see Godot, but <laughs> yeah yeah no I, I i recommend it i i i don't think it's again as as there's a lot of detractors you know we got this whole marvel versus dc thing and you know what i'm a marvel guy <laughs> yeah it's here too but but and yeah, and, and not only that, there's, there's some not as good as others, and we'll get to that next show. Exactly. But, but this is not, by far, a terrible movie. It's much better than people say it is, uh, in my opinion. And I uh, actually think know. that was part of the problem for me, is that they were trying to do an ersatz take on Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, which everybody loves and I always hated, which is basically Batman is an old man, he's basically become a fascist, and Superman is kind of you know, still the voice of rationality, but he's trying to take him down because he's too powerful. And it started a lot of things in the DC universe where Batman's spying and he's got all like, the weaknesses of all the other members of the Justice League and all these well, strange things like know, that. But yeah, I won't argue with it. If you ever do see it, yeah, it's a lot of that there. It's it's uh, I wouldn't say hidden, but it's, it's the undercurrent. Yeah, it's it's definitely there. It's definitely in that story. Well, here's a problem. We, we, for years, decades, let's say, we all, all those comic book geeks wanted The Dark Knight. You know, Frank Miller's Dark Knight, which I liked, but it was problematic. Yeah. And and if we ever saw the Frank Miller version on screen, we would hate it. Yeah. Because it would just be too much. Too dark, yeah. It would be too dark. And so between Christopher Nolan and Zack Snyder, I think I think a gap was bridged, you know, for mm-hmm. like a better word. I I think uh, just more than acceptable. I think it's it's definitely an interesting picture. I think the third one is the one that's problematic because suddenly DC, which is when DC wanted to catch up to Marvel, is shoehorn everybody in, which, yeah. Suicide Squad, which I actually did see in the theater mm. once again, took the plunge, and kind of like you're saying, it's not as bad as everybody says it is, but it is bad. The real problem with it is that it centers around, kind of like when mm. we get to the Marvel movies, they center everything around Jennifer Lawrence's Mystique, who is a minor character. They center everything around Will Smith's Deadshot. 
you know, he does an okay job for Will Smith. It's not a problem that he's in it. it. The problem is that this movie should not be about him. There's too many people involved, and they're touched on way too briefly well, to really invest any care into but, it. But Will Smith's um, the best fucking actor in the picture. So, no, I kid you not. <laughs> I mean, well, it, there's a lot of questionable people. No, I know some of them are okay actors, but I say when you got got a guy who's naturally a strong an actor, doesn't matter if he's done shit. He's done that terrible, 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 awful piece of shit thing for Netflix. What was that thing about orcs? Remember and cops? Uh, <laughs> what was that piece of shit thing? Orcs? <laughs> yeah, come on, right, right. Orcs no, it was, it was directed by David Ayers. It was called Bright. It was about orcs and cops. It was like our version of Alienation. It's it terrible. I didn't even right. finish it, and that's rare. But in this Suicide Squad, when Will Smith is generally and actually the best actor you got in this picture, yeah, he's going to overpower the film. Uh, yeah, that was the problem for me. She was good as Harley Quinn. Yeah, Barbara Robbie was okay as Harley Quinn. She was that Jared, problem with her. A little overhyped. Jared Leto's Joker... All right, he wasn't the world's greatest Joker, let's put it that way, but, but it did work in conjunction with yes. her, so I had no problem with it. I saw it as an ersatz romance, right. like they intended it to be. A lot of people didn't see that. I don't know why. Other people in the cast didn't work as well. You have uh, somebody else instead of Basset Hound playing Amanda Waller this time, a Viola Davis. All right, whatever. Captain Boomerang. Kind of forget he's there. Again, a lot of these people you forget they're there. There was some guy who was like a Spanish gangbanger that like oh. pulls flame out of his ass or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was... Some guy that's supposed to be Killer Croc. Again, bad CG. I'm always off with that one. The supposed baddie was one that was supposed to be on the team, the, the Enchantress. I didn't mind her. It was a little overblown, but whatever. And then Katana, who just kind of sucked in this movie. Well, so, but Was it as bad as everybody says? No. Not, but not at all. My, my problem with this movie was I got a lot of problems. So I just spoke positively about a few aspects about it. One of the things was way, way, way off in pacing. I think the editing was just like fucking whack. Abysmal. Terrible editing. Abysmal. I think the pacing was way off. So, I mean, can we attribute that to editing? I don't know. Somewhere past midpoint, suddenly this movie becomes a Ted B. Michaels low-budget fucking picture. <laughs> we're, we're, we're below New York's subterranean sewers? Okay. You have this terrible actress playing like this villain that came out of nowhere and this really yep. cheesy low-budget effects. I was like... Yep. And then she brings her brother out of nowhere. I'm like, her brother comes out of nowhere. And suddenly, I'm like, wow, what's up with the effects? What's up with this character? And the actress portraying the yeah. character was really subpar. And how much does we notice when a movie costs a lot of money? So it's like, gee, what happened here? It went off the reels. And you really needed... <sighs> yeah, I... I'm not too... F I've seen a lot of David Ayer's stuff. I'm not a pro or a con guy. You know, some stuff works, some stuff doesn't. But you really need... You know, we, we bring up the word auteur you know, on occasion. Mm -hmm. You really need somebody who's like a little bit of a different kind of work-outside-the-box kind of guy to do Suicide Squad. You could not bring in a generic guy... So I guess they were looking at this guy's credits. He hasn't directed a lot of films, but as a writer, he has an interesting credit list. So let's have him do this movie so we have an interesting cast, but it just doesn't work because it looks like there was nobody backing him up. And I have yep. to say, watching the film, and, and you have, of course, as well, by the middle point when they introduced the terrible CGI, the terrible villain, 
Yes. S who comes out of yeah. nowhere and this this ridiculous fight. It was like it was like so TV ish. And yes. And and it was just like ugh. My two main problems with this were the CG, mm. which was awful. Like you mentioned, the villain that comes out of nowhere. Not even the Enchantress so much, because she uh. was there in the beginning. But when she brings her brother out and has to escalate it, like, really? But the fact that it's an ensemble film, they end up centering around one fucking person. You know, whether you think he's the strongest actor or not, it's supposed to be about, you know, seven people, basically. Plus, you bring in the Joker just for the hell of it. And it's not about any of them. It's all about him. And that didn't well, work for me at all. So I don't. I don't think it was all about Will. I. I, I... Well, they included enough for Margot Robbie to shake her ass or whatever, and a little bit of this thing about like their romance between her and the Joker, right. such as it is. And I like that part. You know, the well, last part the, of that. The whole world knows this is a problem with this. Why haven't you seen a sequel like three or four years later? Because they don't know what to do. Exactly. Problem, right. You know, it's, <laughs> they. They. Yeah. They just don't. No. So let's see. We left off right at the end of the DC films. We were at Wonder Woman. Oh, did, did we do? Did we do Wonder Woman? Did we? No, we did that? not. We stopped okay. right there. Okay. Is there anything you wanted to say before I get in, or about Wonder Woman? Yeah. Actually, yeah. I actually liked it. I did not know what to expect. I mean, like everybody, Gal Gadot was not my visual personal visualization of Wonder Woman. I wasn't, you know, thinking, you know, Linda Carter, but she was a good representation of the comic book. Right. Uh, visually. And, you know, we, we've had lots of choices and, and dreams over the years and fantasies of what Wonder <laughs> Woman, you know, etc. But I thought she was quite good in the one or two Fast and Furious movies where she seemed to have come out of the blue, Gal Gadot. So I didn't want to personally condemn her without saying I thought she was fine. I thought a lot of the background, the stuff on the island, where she grew up, where she came from, was fine. I didn't mind Chris Pine at all. I thought it was sweet, and I tried to humanize the character. Did I? Well, everybody's seen it by now. Did I like them killing his character off? No, I didn't think there was really a need for that, especially in something where sequelitis yes. <laughs> is like the, you know the name of the game with these pictures and, and they seem to have worked really well they had great chemistry and i was like well this is weird but apparently he's sort of back in the next one i'm not sure if he's a flashback dream or he's actually back his death was kind of weird anyway the only thing i would say about this picture oh and it was directed sorry it was directed by a woman yes who you know you got to applaud DC for this one. They actually handed the role of director to a woman who previously had done nothing. Have, have, well, heavy wear drama. She did Monster, that movie that won uh, Academy Award for um, was it Charlize Theron about Eileen Warner, the serial killer, and other small, small, low-key, heavy pictures, but not a heavy CB, not a lot of pictures. It was a bit of a shock, and then it's like, wow, you did a good job. What did I not like about this movie? You might agree or not. The villain was, yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a huge build-up to the God of War. Yes. Hermes, right? Correct? Was it Hermes? Uh, it was Ares, but yes. Yeah, Ares, Ares. Okay, thank you. Ares. So, yeah, there's this huge build-up throughout the picture. And we got these character actors as pretty good Nancy Ilsa-type villains, which was a nice little thing. It was a little edgy there, you know, with the German war experiments. But then at the end, it turned to a CGI mess villain mm -hmm. who, okay, he's supposed to be the most powerful, one of the most powerful beings in existence. 
Arnold, it's almost like they did better with Thanos than they did with him, because personally, I was like, oh, two hours plus, and this is what you came up. You know, you could have, you could have worked on this a little bit more. <laughs> so the for me, the visualization of that character kind of weakened it a little bit. Then it was um, very Suicide Squad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was oddball casting. You brought that up. Yeah, you know, as as opposed to, uh, we're still waiting for the Howling Commandos movie. I don't mm-hmm. know. Those guys are getting older. Yep. But they tried to do that kind of thing in this movie, where we had the sharpshooter and we had the weird. I don't know who these character actors were, but there was like the weird gangly. Do you remember? You know what I'm talking about? The weird gangly Brit guy who looked like perennially drunk or something. <laughs> Yeah, it was like it's an oddball team of characters. I thought they kind of worked. Yeah, but it did remind me a lot of of those guys. What do you have to say? Well, I actually wrote a a quickie take on this back when I first saw the movie, which eventually got put over into a uh, collected about four or five of them together. It was originally it was one of those things on Facebook where it's just like, okay, we saw this movie and here's my thoughts right now. So I'll quote Mm. a little bit of that because it's a lot more vicious than what you said. Apparently, Gal Gadot had won an award. I'll say this before I even start. I had seen just the ending of that stupid Batman vs. Superman movie uh, because I was curious about the Wonder Woman thing. So my wife's like, you know, I don't think you're going to like this one. And I wasn't interested in it anyway. Was that after this or before? I can't. It was the introduction of the character into their... Uh... So you're she right, says, you're you know, right. you might be interested because the Wonder Woman pops up at the end. I'm like, oh, yeah, let me see that. So I watched that, whatever that was, the last 10 minutes. Or... And, you know, a lot of people were complaining about her right off. They're like, oh, she doesn't really look right. You know, she's Israeli. She's not Greek. And I was like, you know, especially after George Perez did the whole rewrite where they pointedly made this, she is Greek, this is Greek mythos. So I'm like, well, why didn't they get a Greek girl? That's a little strange. Number two is like, well, she doesn't really, a lot of people are saying she was too skinny. I don't know about that, but yeah, she wasn't perfect, but you know, she's attractive, and I was like, "Eh, I'm okay with this. I did not have the problem that everybody else did. The thing that was noticeable right away was I couldn't understand a fucking word she was saying with that accent. Well, she does does have a bit of an accent. I don't think it's that Uh, It was pretty damn thick. So... I, but that was from the first couple of, you know, that couple of minutes in that film. So I'm like, all right, we'll see what happens with the movie. I'd love to see this, right? So I'm like, yeah, I don't say eagerly awaiting, but I was like, okay, yeah, I'll see the one more film. Whew. Well, apparently she had won around the time that I saw this uh, some kind of award for challenging gender stereotypes. What the hell that's supposed to mean? I don't know. Maybe she was for challenging viewers' comprehension of her uber-thick accent? Challenging long-held standards of acting ability? Maybe the film for challenging even the standards set by the prior television series? And even the Kathleen Crosby TV movie in sheer abysmalness and CG-heavy ineptitude? I mean, this is one thing that bothered both of us. You know, I was watching my wife. It's like, how do you fuck up Etta Candy? And was it really that topical in Trump's America to retain the usual World War II setting? I mean, fighting Nazis is too controversial? Seriously? I mean, you kind of defended that previously. I don't know if we did that on air or what. But why isn't this set in World War II? World War One? Seriously? And characters, you had mentioned this. This is Chuck Dixon level. Like, this guy, if you read comics around the time that he was writing things like Birds of Prey and whatever the hell else, this guy pulled characters out of his ass. He's like, here you go, here's one for you. I mean, stupid fucking names like you know, The Hat, Whip Hand, there was something stupid like that. Mr. Big Gun. Really? This is supposed to be something I'm reading and enjoying and I'm over five? 
horrible. Chuck Dixon is one of the worst writers in comics. I don't know if he still does or not, but oof, abysmal. So this is what I thought of right away, because here's his character, Dr. Poison. Like, seriously? It was like, it was... I didn't like oh, that that much. It was awful. Not only was the name stupid and her little scarred face, but I was like, this is just bad. And the acting all around, I'm not just talking about Gal Gadot or whatever with her. I can't even understand what she was saying, so I can't even judge too hard. But everybody was so bad. Like I said, the other candy was awful. Everybody was hamming it up. The people that even couldn't act at all. And the CG was just abysmal. I mean, I pointed out, I was looking forward to this one as much as anybody. You know, we have all the seasons of the original TV series with Linda Carter. I have the Kathleen Crosby movie. You know, I used to read the comics. We got, like, whatever the hell, maybe an action figure something floating around. Everything was fine. We've been to all these superhero movies, or at least all the Marvel ones, and a reasonable portion of DC ones we've seen. And yet, this one was just like, really? Seriously? This is your big event? And somehow, this got turned into some big, like Black Panther later, but that was a much, much better movie. Oh, God. So much better. It got turned into some kind of political hot point, where it's like, oh, look, here we are, you know, go, me too, women power. I'm like, really? From this movie? There's nothing political about it. And it was just a bad movie. So you're latching on to that is really throwing way too much. You're reading so much into that that just isn't there. So it, the whole thing was just well, an embarrassment. Well, I don't want to spend an hour talking about this picture. So like Cisco and Ebert, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can get into the, you know we can get to this contentious thing about this movie. I you know, I, I I spoke before you did, and I you know I I actually like. The throwback World War One, World War Two things. We don't get enough of them nowadays. And um, hell, you, nobody could do things like. And these pictures were made, at, you know, at the dawn, you know, at the cusp of the seventies, the end of the sixties. You know, Dirty Dozen, Where Eagles Deer, that whole thing. A lot of people named Chuck Guns of Navarone, but I have a problem with that. It's a bit talky, and for the most part. But um, I like this daring do kind of thing, the team spirit thing. Uh, you know, I, I yeah, I. I'll admit, I give this movie a lot of pass. I don't think her accent was that bad. I mean, hey, you know, look at all these years we've been talking about Elkie Summer, <laughs> y'all, and, and uh, Lena, and all these other people. I mean, fuck. Um, but Elkie Summer is more comprehensible to me. Yeah, because we're used to her. We're not used to Gal. It'll it'll, it'll get smoother, trust me. <laughs> you know, I, Hey, yo, like, like Lena Romay, you know, I, I remember when I was in uh, One Shot Productions, uh, the guy Kevin's house in Brooklyn, and he's, he, you know, called me up, he said, can you come across Brooklyn, I just came back from Spain, and I'm gonna remix in Jersey of all places, Union City, <laughs> the audio for Jess's new movie, we just finished the edit, okay. wow, it's about two hours, I'm warning you, it's gotta go down to 90 minutes, okay, and, you know, I was, like, just watching, like, bad porn because you couldn't understand anybody. <laughs> and he says, yeah, I know. Lena just insisted, and just insisted, that Lena say all her lines phonetically in English. I said, but I can't understand what the hell she's saying. I know. I'm going to have to redub it. But he flew them to Jersey <laughs> so they could redub everything here. What? But anyway, so anyway, our, our, the point I was trying to make, you know, our, our favorite people, you know, they they had impenetrable accents and, and, and at some point in time, and we just got used to them. So, you you nasty. But <laughs> I'm oh, giving you a pass I didn't even this. mention the, the central supposed romance. What? There was no romance there. They barely even connected to each other. But that's another story. Uh, they had chemistry. Oh. <laughs> 
right. Oh, you were in a bad mood when you watched that. Okay. <laughs> Uh, next so uh, next up is one I haven't seen and may not even come out yet. Was uh, Justice League? I don't know if that even appeared in theaters or anything. Yeah, or if it did, it was a bomb and nobody even knew about it. <laughs> no, no, no. It came it out. Okay. It came out. Yeah, yeah. It came out. <sighs> did it come out? <laughs> yeah, it came out. Did it come out? Yeah, it came out. No, it did very well. Um, <laughs> it did well financially. I'm not sure if it came out, but it did well. <laughs> No, no, it did, it did come out. I have to rack my brain. There's so many of these damn things. Yeah, it's the one that introduced Aquaman and Flash, the cyborg. <sighs> yes, that's the one because Superman was dead for most of the movie after the ending of Batman versus Superman. Right. And um, I don't know. That's Yes, that's the one that Zack Snyder didn't finish and... What's his name? Did oh from Firefly? Oh, oh Just Whedon. Just Whedon. And, and so totally tone-wise, tonality. It was you know dark, the dark side of Zach and the unusual side of Josh, and then both of those had to be stitched together to meet Warner's. We got to make money on this, you know, a little lighter phase. So I, th- I think it's got a lot of problems. Yeah. Yeah, it's all coming back to me now. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. This is, and you know, it's the big thing. It's got tone problems, and although I thought Ben Affleck, like uh, like I said last time, I, I I don't think he was terrible. I think he was fine in this. <sighs> yeah, you don't remember much. About Henry him. Henry Cavill. It's just like cementing his ownership of Superman at this point. You know, the guy's Superman. I had a problem with Cyborg. Yes, yes. And Flash. It depends how far we get today. i seen the um, Aquaman trailer. I'm not sure if you have yet. I've seen the trailer for it, yes. I'm so underwhelmed. Yes, I could care less. That's what I'm saying. DC movies do nothing for me anymore, so I will pick and choose. Like, okay, I will see Wonder Woman. I will see, you know, whatever. For whatever reason, we decided to see the Suicide Squad that one time. But there's a whole bunch of them. It's just like, I don't care. I don't need to see this. (laughs) But I thought James Wan did Doctor Strange for Marvel. So I'm curious why, why Aquaman looks so flat. Other than that, maybe they just haven't cut the trailer correctly. I don't know. Well, it doesn't transfer because, you know, so, Brian Singer anyway. did all the, the first couple of X-Men movies and things like that, and then he goes over to DC, and I know you like them, but he started doing these lousy, like, Man of Steel and things like, ooh, yeah. So people nowadays, we don't really seem to have directors that are, quote, auteurs that, you know, carry their vision with them wherever they go and whoever they're working for. You know, I'm, This is really low rent, like a Jess Franco. You're working with all these different producers in all these different countries, making all these different types of films, and yet yeah. you know it's a Jess Franco film. You can't say that about a Brian Singer. You can't say that about even somebody like a Gus Van Sant, much less you know whoever. I don't even know who's out there anymore. Well, McGee. I think you could say I could I could tell you, I think you could say this about Zack Snyder. I can't believe he's gotten this far with that name. Uh, <laughs> Watchmen, that weird movie. She's about the women in the asylum. What the hell is that? I have the deep Blu-ray of that. And they have these fantasies. It's very interesting. What was that called? Like, no, I think he has a certain style. I don't. He's, things have been very quiet in his front. So I'm not sure what's going on. Oh, his son or daughter committed suicide. Well, that that was one of the reasons why he did not finish Justice League. Okay. Uh, allegedly. And so uh, I think it's been quiet since. 
Well, that's understandable. So there's that. Let's go on. So I guess next time we can see how far we well, get. Yeah. <laughs> I have to go through like 14 X-Men movies. Oh, jeez, yeah. What's the big subject? We're going to get to some cool Marvel movies next show. Oh, yeah. Well, at least get through the Fox stuff. But we'll see how we get to the Marvel Yeah, oh, my Marvel God. I hope this is a three-parter. Oh, my God. It may oh, be. Oh, what's going on? We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. Okay. We'll see what happens. All right. So thanks for joining us tonight. We hope you enjoyed our little drawing room chat on the DC films. Next time around, we'll be talking at least the Fox Studios Marvel Pictures. If you'd like to contact us here, comments, suggestions, or you're a filmmaker, musician, you'd like to join us on air, drop us a line on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash weirdscenes1, or our website, weirdscenes1.wordpress. We're also on Twitter, at weirdscenes1. Weirdscenes on the Goldmine, brought to you by the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. And of course, the Big Papa Online Network isn't really in existence anymore. I was about to say, it doesn't exist anymore. Backs <laughs> uh, off doing his comedy career, and it's just us. Uh, apparently, he's going to be coming back to New York City and doing a big gig. I'm really impressed. Really? Oh, we have so to we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Dangerfields, believe it or not. Anyway, anything you want to say to close out? Good. Thanks for listening, as always, and we more superheroes to come. All right. Uh, we'll see what happens next time. <laughs> at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Tune in to Third Eye Cinema, your source for in-depth discussion of cult cinema with a focus on film that matters. Cult, grindhouse, drive-in, independent, and underground film from the dawn of the talkies through the early 90s. This is a forum where we explore genre film and music from around the world, in-depth conversation and career analysis with directors, actors, and musicians, and open discussion on films that matter, those that fall outside the mainstream corporate film by boardroom committee. These are the problems of the auteur, the visionary, the dreamer, the outsider. None of that direct that passes for mainstream film these days. This is all about the glory days of independent cinema from all over the world. Any of the hotbeds of obscure, oddball, or generally wild cinema available on DVD from the dawn of the medium to this very day. Join us as we delve deep into the cinematic netherworld here on Third Eye Cinema. 
Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. What is At Eye Level? A reductio ad absurd and look at the headlines, from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. And try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network, on Blog Talk Radio. Join us on Tuesday nights at 6.30 Eastern for an exploration of the many roads and methods which promise to lead us to the ultimate answer, a higher purpose, the meaning of life. I'm just like a lot of you, a middle-aged mom with piles of laundry and a meditation practice. I've been down many roads to get where I am today, and my journey is far from finished. But I'd like to share my experience and hard-earned wisdom with you. So what is it about women and spirituality? It seems like we're always the first to try out something new. Christianity was spread in large part by wealthy women. And where would Uncle Al be without a scarlet women? Who is by and far the largest audience of New Age alternative spirituality? What is it about us that always has us seeking? And why does it always seem that men tend to take over what we discover? Join us for a dialogue between two long-lost friends representing both the yin and yang aspects of the whole, each of whom have traveled multifarious paths all across the spectrum of spirituality, the dark side and the light, from the organized to the out of the way. This show is for all those frustrated in their quest who've been through various stops on the spectrum of spirituality and found them ultimately unfulfilling. Join us for some hard-earned lessons and thoughts on potential new directions and possible value in what inevitably fails in organized practice, but which may have some merit to the solo practitioner, fellow seekers of truth, in this journey towards life. Moving towards life. Lessons in life and spirituality from unconventional seeker. Bringing more to you, only here on the Big Papa Online Network. On Blog Talk Radio. Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Join us for Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell with Doc Savage, Lois Paul, myself. Discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult films, music, television, and more. We'll be covering classic films, shows, musicians, and literature of the past, with an eye towards what new visions may still arise from the soullessly derivative mire of our modern age. Tune in turn on and take a step outside the mainstream as we dig deep into the rich vein of cult cinema, music, and television right here on Weird Seats Inside the Gold Mine. Only here on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. Hello again. How come we don't do a show on pulps? (laughs) Pulps just period? Like uh, as in like The Shadow and the Spider and Duck Savage and whatever? Yeah... We could certainly you I mean, read a hell of a lot of them. You're named, you're named after him, damn it. Exactly. <laughs> hey, you know, it's, it's been a while since I was reading them, but I've read dozens of those damn things. 
Uh, oh, I read them all. I read them all. Oh, there's so many of those. Especially the... Well, I don't know. The, the, which was longer? I think the Shadow Run actually ran longer. But Doc Savage, there's still like over 100 of the damn things. I probably over read about 55. Over 100? Yeah. Then, I, yeah, then, of course, halfway through the run, you'll find out, oh, Ken Robeson's actually like nine people. You know, <laughs> well, Lester Dent wrote the best ones overall. Uh, oh, know. yeah, I agree. I agree. But, you know, no, Norval Page wasn't bad. I love the spiders. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it just came to my mind. I'm like, Doc Savage, when is actually going to ever go by his real name? But, <laughs> <laughs> that part's getting into it. <laughs> One word with, when is Boop going by his real name? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, that, that one's getting taken out. Yeah. One little quick clip. Uh, okay, let's go. I'll follow you.